G Money. Yo, we're back, man. What up, man? What's you been on vacation or something? What's up? We got the studio sitting here. You, are you plan on using it? Yo, ch- don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. How are you? Came in here shooting. I'm good. I'm good. How you feeling, man? What's hey, up? Man, you looking good? Pause. Thank you, sir. I try to keep up. You know what I'm saying? With the young folks out here. How your foot doing? Is better? It's good. Yeah. Nail grew back? Not yet. It's going to take a while. <laughs> How long? Damn, that's crazy. Just going to shoot like... How long does it take? <laughs> um, probably a few months, I think. Oh, for real? Yeah. You researched it? Well, I know, yeah, I know people that have done it. So. I'm going to do, my, I'm gonna do it too. No, you're not. <clears throat> How are you, G? I ain't going to lie. Like, I can tell you've been making money on parties. You, you know, you, you're looking a little heavy. Turn that shit down, G. Oh. What's wrong with you, oh, man? Jeez. It's a lot of money. Yeah, I'm, work, I'm working, man. You know, I got to stay busy. You know, shout out my man Ian. We had a conversation uh, a few minutes ago, you know what I'm saying, about a lot of things. But, you know, as you as you go with your other endeavors, I have to keep myself occupied as well. So, you know, I'm outside every week, two, three, four parties a week, you know. Two, so, three, damn, G. Like, how, does like that, how does that, how does that, how does that feel? Again, man, you haven't did that much. I mean, when we were younger, that was the thing. Like late early adulthood, like 20, 21, 22, 23, get light days. Yeah, yeah. You know, you doing you doing GX data, you doing all these other things. Wilkins and all Roy that. Wilkins, Amazon, like, yeah, yeah. Everything. Like, how does that feel getting back into that loop as far as consistent parties a week? I mean, it never stopped. It just, it just. Oh, he's talking crazy. I just put, I just yeah. put more on the plate now. I just, yeah, I just been adding, I've been adding some more to the Disrespect plate. Disrespect me, bro. Don't say you never nah, stopped. I'm just, you know, like that. I'm, I'm working on, I'm working on, I'm working on transitioning from being too humble to to less humble, and then I'll keep going and. A little more in that direction, so you know I'm just trying to talk my, my, my talk a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Is that is that all right with you, Mister Mister? How many billion views and all that stuff? That you be always G- talking. Chill, <laughs> I'm your man, G. How you been? Are you good? Yeah, I'm excited about this next episode, man. I'm good. How you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm alright, man. We here. You know, uh, we, we got we got D all coming up this month. Yeah, let's talk talk about that. Memorial Day weekend. You know, MemorialDayGetaway.com. Get your tickets right now. G Money Envy Maya is gonna be out there in Dr. Memorial Day weekend, it's crazy. Um, rest in peace to one of our guests, man, Jerry Springer. We got, we got to let's talk about that, Jerry, Jerry Springer. Shout I out think Springer. we did like one of the last, his last interviews, right? I think so. He was the last one to interview Jerry Springer. Um, great Shout interview. Um, I liked it. Super cool. Like, ain't from Queens too. So I, yeah. you know, he. How, how did it feel when you heard that he passed away? Um, kind of. You're not really an emotional guy. Oh, that question is kind of crazy. <laughs> nah. Yo, you alright? Oh my gosh. G, what happened, G? What's funny? No, I felt like you know we we lost we lost a, a, a television goat. Okay. So I felt so I had to make sure I, I I you know pay my respects and I put the clips over on the page and you know what well, definitely a dope episode. You know what I'm saying? I, I enjoy interviewing him. I enjoy just being in the presence of him and just seeing his very vibe. Cool and, very and, cool and very cool and knowledgeable. You know what I'm saying? Facts. So my condolences to the whole NBC family. Yes. Um, to his family and stuff like that. For yeah. sure. Yeah, man. What's up, Robin? Stop wearing that. They paying you? Yo, chill. <laughs> Why you don't want to bring no bread? Shout out to We All In, man. Queens, what's up? Big Queens. Oh, you was like, for They got the wall. Nice shit. Stop. 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 All right, much love. G Money! Yo. Before we start, let me wait this guy. Let me let this guy wait a little bit. Hold on. You know, you know I'm a little biased. If you, if you watch the Flip the Script podcast, let you me know. Wait. Let me let him wait. We have. I'm tired of him. Anybody from the show. We get on this couch from Philly or from Harlem. I'm biased for some reason. I don't know what it is. They come in here ready to just demolish you every time. And he's been he walked in with the energy. He's ready to go. So uh, I can't wait to see it. G Money, yo, episode two two eight, nigga, we made it. Woo. We got a special guest. 
Oh man. Hold on. Let me let me just. What? Put it here from the beginning. Just leave it right he there. He put the box there. For the, he didn't say nothing. Doesn't matter. He's from Harlem. It's all right. He put the box <laughs> there already. <laughs> He's there. It's he didn't deserve that. Early. You put the box up there. It's right there. Wait, hold on. You gotta. Is the box really here? It's really right there. It's not open oh, yet. I thought you touching it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we got a special guest. Facts. Now let me just say this introduction. Um, uh, fan of his music before. Still play. Still play the music. Yeah, in parties. Facts. He ain't got a lot of my lifetime. They just all the right features. The red chick that all the right things. Oh, oh. <laughs> he did the remix too. <laughs> he did the original and the remix. Part one and part two. Yeah, who do you think he is? I don't know who he is. Oh, but but one thing that impressed me about this individual, besides knowing his family, is that his transformation. Yes. How dedicated he was into how how dedicated he was and is mm-hmm. into the, his religion. I think it's amazing. I think to come from a lifestyle like that and. Uh, lifestyle of hip hop and to make that big transformation publicly and to stand on it and to uphold it, he gets the purest love and honor from me. Mm. Um, not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Round of applause for my man, Amir Lord. <laughs> hey, you know. He be he be checking people too. He stopped the whole. He be checking me. Hold on, my name is Amir. How you doing, man? Welcome. I'm good, man. I'm good. Hold on, hold on pull the device closer. Here you go. You, oh man, here we go. You get me? Yeah. When you did the podcast with them other dudes, you did it good. Stop playing. How you doing? You being biased? I'm good. Good to see. How you doing? I'm man? happy to be here, man. Welcome, We've been talking welcome. about this for what? A couple weeks now. Yeah. Uh, Almost a month. Yeah, yeah. Last yeah. time I seen you was ordering a whole plethora of pork. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Don't wow. ju- don't judge. Use wow. eat pork. I listen. I told you, man. It wasn't going <laughs> in my body. It didn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. How you feel after all that? Uh, I feel sick. You should, as you should. I'm mm. lying. I didn't feel nothing. You feel nothing. I'm strong. I feel healthier than ever. No question. G chill, G. How are you, man? Welcome, welcome to flip the script, man. We no, happy I'm good. To have I'm, you, I'm happy to be here, man. That was my first question. Here. I want to ask him too, like. Yeah. How do you feel when people still call you loon? Like, do, do, do you do you check everyone that calls you that, or do you? Nah, I mean, I told a story about like when I was in the prison system. You know what I'm saying? And I used to play ball and stuff. And you know, the dudes were running it like Rucker, so you know they they, they you know they been they having fun. So one time I went to lay up the ball, and it was like yo loon. And I just stopped, I dropped the ball, and I walked to the table like, listen, man. I ain't trying to, you know, spoil the party. You can call me Air Moses. You got fun with it. You know what I'm saying? But we ain't going to do Loom. Because I ain't never introduced myself to none of y'all's Loom. My name is Amir. But see, I had to learn. Because that's in that environment. I just didn't want that to spill over into, like, cats getting a little too familiar. Because you know how it is. You know, you look at people on the screen and and you think you know them. You know? So I was just a stickler in establishing who I was presently. But when people call me that, I mean, they got to identify me by what they know, you know, and I had to learn to accept that and, and, and use that as an opportunity to try to pivot into establishing a relationship with, you know, who I am now. Right, right. So, you know, I, I, I when I first became Muslim, I was kind of, you know, you know, reluctant to, you know, accept it because I was trying 
at that time to pivot away from you know my previous lifestyle. Mm. So you know when you abstaining from something, you gotta abstain from it all. You can't straddle. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. So I guess going through those budding stages, it was necessary. But now that I've you know got to a place where you know I'm content, I'm at peace, and it's like it doesn't bother me no more. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean because that, that gotta be tough. Like me watching Fresh Prince, if I see. Um, Alf- Alfonso Rivera. If I see him in the street, I'm calling him Carlton. I'm not you calling call him Alfonso. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So that's why I want to ask that question. For I, I don't want to address you as Loon on the show, and you like, yo, give me nah, a wild nah, I mean, you, you, like, know, you know what I'm saying? Listen, I, I know, and, and I appreciate it too. I appreciate, you know, the respect and just trying to be mindful. But at the end of the day, I mean, if it come out, ain't no issue, man. Got you, got you. you know. Also, your, your, your last, your previous name, your last name is the same as mine's. Oh yeah. I want to ask you about that. You got family. You say you've been in Queens years ago, so I don't know if you got family together. I don't know how, how that. How that. You know what I'm saying? We got to do the little. Oh, you talking about your government name? Government last name, yeah. Oh, Hawkins. Facts. Wow. Same last name. Wow. Last name. See, I saw my grandfather's side. You know, on my um, yeah. I mean, I don't know too much about his family other than his grandmother was actually white. Where they from? Though? They from New York or North Carolina? North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, they from North Carolina. My grandmother's side. They from Richmond, Virginia. So, yeah, my grandfather. You know, his name was John Frank Hawkins, and um, he he was he was the only father I knew. My grandfather raised me. Mm. You know, and a lot of history behind that name. I don't know how much you delved into Yo, it. Hold on, quick. What I you talking about? What you do. He look, he look yeah, but now I don't, I don't know how much you invested in it, but there's a lot of lot of history behind that name. I, mean, I got a big family, so I, I got family, you know, New York and you know Delaware, PA, Virginia. I got it's 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 all out. So we, it we might be it might be some connection. Line, you know it might be some connection, man. Because I did a little research on the last name. It was actually a captain of a slave ship, Jesus. His name was John Hawkins, and he used to bring slaves in from like Guinea, Mecca, and somewhere else in you know the African region. Oh wow! And one of the things I learned about him was he used to specifically choose. Slaves that had certain unique, you know, gifts or abilities, so to say. So, like, when you look at, like, how many people named Jackson and all of that, this was somebody who was just hoarding slaves. Like, he's just, like, you know, it was abundance of just, but what I heard with this guy, and it doesn't take away from, you know, the impact of the transatlantic slave trade, but I learned that this guy was kind of specific. If he was, like, a good carpenter, a good something, he he chose he was kind of, I guess, you know, selective, so to say. Why do y'all call the slave ship Jesus? I thought it was Jesus. It wasn't Jesus back in the day. No, no, no. I mean, this guy, I mean, that's how it was depicted you as know, far Jay as this guy. Jay wasn't in the, Jay was in the alphabet. But the, Not in the Hebrew um, alphabet, no. It wasn't, right? Nah. So why you calling it Jesus? I'm just saying. In Arabic, we call him Isa. Right. Isa so Numedium. Right. Isa Numedium is like Isa or Jesus, son of Mary. There we go. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to get you on your job. Hey, look. I mean, look. I'm trying to remind you where we at. You right, you right. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you did your research. I had to. I had to come for you. <laughs> my man. See, I'm I'm inspired now. You are. You are. You are. Even Jr. said you very inspirational. Yeah. Um, now I'm inspired by you. 
Definitely JR. JR is why I'm here. I just want to make sure that's being said Shout on camera. G, I'm here because of JR. Same, that's from you, though. It's the same person. Yeah, but chill. It's not me, though, for real. JR. Don't you talk to my friend like Thank that. Thank you, G. Tell him again. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? JR did a great job raising himself. Oh, shit. G, don't, don't. G, chill. No, no, I can't do that. Nah, nah, nah. I got to give you a flower. Yo, you did a good job, man. JR is an amazing kid, man. Thank you, thank you. So, so. Let's go back. Okay. Um, I want to go back up here, you know, in UGG, but can I, you know, yeah, pop yeah, it off? Sure. We want to go back into the childhood. I don't know how much you want to divulge. I know you're very, hmm, you're very complicated when it comes to interviews. <laughs> you have these, you know, and, you know, anything that we don't, you don't want to talk about, just, you know, I respect you. You're my man. Yeah. But we want to go back to the childhood. Okay. Where you were born. And what do you remember if you can share that with us? Do you have a book coming out? Because I know yeah, I'm working on the book. I'm oh, working on this on this seven part, six part doc series. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually want to tell this story in its entirety for the purpose of not even closing that chapter of my life, but to just solidify a point where you know the evolution continues from. Where I, you know, where I initially came from, and how I evolved to, you know, where I'm at now in my life. So my childhood, you know, I was born and raised in Harlem, you know, St. Luke's Hospital, you know, to be exact. And um, I was raised by my grandparents. You know, my mother and father were well known in the streets of Harlem. You know, my father, his name was Jazz. Joseph Hayden, or is jazz. I don't even say past tense, you know, stuff for the law. And my mom's Carol Hawkins, you know. And they were known, you know. Anybody that lived in that time knew that 116th Street at the time in Harlem bred some of the the most, you know, biggest brand name hustlers that ever came out of Harlem. So that was always, you know, my pedigree. My grandfather even was, you know, tight with Bumpy Johnson. You know, he died. He was 96 years old. But my grandfather, you know, he, everybody knew Johnny Hawkins, you know. So it's like I had a very privileged childhood in the sense of what my family established for themselves in the communities that, you know, we frequented. And um, growing up, you know, just like every other kid in Harlem or any inner city in New York. You know, we always exposed to a lot of things, you know, that impacted our lives. In most cases, you know, intrigued us. And some of us, you know, well, most of us, we, you know, we were compelled to indulge in those life, in those lifestyles. So. Be respectful. Um. I'm sick of you already, dog. So we didn't start the, Yeah, go no, ahead. No, no, just let me know if I'm, of course I'm not. Your, your dad, mm-hmm. right? Your biological father. Mm-hmm. One day I saw him on a documentary. I was watching a Nikki Barnes documentary. Yeah. I saw him speaking. So I put a post, like, I want to interview this guy. Yeah. And your daughter, Sade, said, that is my grandfather. Yeah. I said, grandfather? I never, she said, that's my grandfather. I swear. And then I got on the phone with her, and she told me about him. But he was talking about back in the days, people, people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Now, when I speak to you or when we talk about it, you know, you said that you didn't really grow up with him. Nah. You didn't, you didn't meet him until you were... Like 33. 
like 33. Yeah. Can you tell us how, when did you find, because you thought somebody else was your pops, right? Well, my family, you know, they have a very, very unique way, secretive way of communicating. And it's something that's really been embedded in all of us and passed down to where certain situations or certain matters, we speak of it. And, and, and you know, we, we deal with things differently. So I think my mother and her relationship with Jazz, whatever it entailed, she felt compelled to, you know, give, a, give another man rights over me as a father. And I only identified with him and knew him and physically had, you know, some degree of relationship with him growing up. So I always believed that, you know, Hamburger was my father. He never told you that he wasn't your father? Did he? Did nah. He? So he played the role? And yeah, because my mom was young. These guys was way older than her. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, from what I understand, Jazz had a whole family of his own. And so did Hamburger. You know what I'm saying? So my mom was being young and, you know, entrenched in this environment, in this particular, you know, community of individuals. This is how she played it. You know, and based on that, it created a lot of confusion, but it was always something lingering about jazz because I had pictures of him in my house. You know what I'm saying? Same pictures you might have seen in documentary. They was in Vegas. You know what I'm saying? Nick was with his wife down when my mother was with jazz. You know what I'm saying? So these things, you know, can be actually damaging to a child. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Definitely yeah. can't be damaging to a child. But the fact that neither one of them really played a significant role in my life, it wasn't that much damaging because I had my grandfather. That was the only man I knew. That was my father. That was my grandfather and that was my father. Grandfather on your mom's side. On my right? mom's side. And when, when, now with your grandfather, right, mm -hmm. he, and I'm going to get back to the, your father situation a little bit. Your grandfather, when you say I had my grandfather, like did you guys all live together or he lived down the block? No, I lived with my grandfather pretty much majority of my, 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 my childhood, all the way to adolescence. Really? Yeah, my grand my grandmother, she raised me from about six months old. Yeah. Cause my mom's just like a lot of people in the seventies, they fell victim of drugs. You know? Seventies was a particular era where you know, heroin was the drug of choice. Mm. Many of them didn't use heroin. You know, they sold it. So then you have a nuance that comes in, you know, which was crack cocaine. So just like you see how the kids now in abundance, they, they, they fall into whatever drug is new and everybody just kind of delve into it and you see the result. You know what I'm saying? So I like to look at most of the people that I grew up knowing about and this, there was, you know, figureheads in the 70s, and most of them fell into this whole crack thing. So my mom also been a, you know, ended up a victim of it. And my grandmother went to, you know, visit her one time because she had an apartment in the Bronx. And I was, you know, newborn baby. My grandmother went there, and my mother wasn't even there. You know what I'm saying? She had left me in the care of some other people who struggled with the same addiction. So my grandmother immediately... Just commandeered me, took me home with her, and raised me, you know, from that day on. Mm. Yeah. So when did you become familiar with your mom? 
Like at what age? I mean, my mom was always there, but just, you know, in spurts, she would always, I mean, and there's another thing that could be damaging. It's like my mom, you know, because of her addiction, she was never really forthcoming, you know what I'm saying? Or she never really followed through, you know, with promises and things she made, you know? Even my dad as well. I remember, you know, clear as day, like being a kid in a whole one-piece snowsuit with the clipped gloves and all that, standing at the door, scarfed up, waiting for my my father to come pick me up. And, like, every time my grandmother would come to try to, like, you know, in a subtle way undress me, I used to, you know, spaz out, like, nah, you know, like, he coming. And that became very repetitive with both of my parents, you know what I'm saying? They just never would, you know, follow through. You know, so being that I had my grandparents, it always sufficed the impact of what would have been had I only had my parents. You understand? Because if that was the only experience I ever had, then I probably would have suffered way more trauma than I did. You know, so it's, it's definitely, you know, gratifying to know what love is, even if it doesn't come from the people that's entrusted to love you. Hmm. So, at what age did you did you kind of realize what moms and pops were doing? Like, you know, the, the whole drug thing and everything. Like, what age did you kind of see that and understand what that what that life was like? I mean, you. I mean, I grew up in Harlem, so you know, but you in denial when it reaches you. Right. You know what I'm saying? When any time any affliction or adversity reaches you, you know. As a defense, you 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 develop this sense of denial. They're not my moms, because I'm still going off the Carol Hawkins that everybody respect and love and talked about from 116th Street. So I could never just accept that she was falling victim to, you know, this 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 epidemic that spread all through Harlem. But then as I got older, I became a lot more sensitive. You know what I'm saying? To the fact that she was. And I and I actually struggled with, you know, you know, joking with friends, you know, saying, you know how we snap on each other. Kids is cruel. Mm-hmm. But if a single crackhead joke came up, even if a person didn't know my mother's situation, I took it extremely personal. You know, extremely personal. And I would literally try to push somebody's ears together behind, you know, talking about my mother and her condition, you know, even if they didn't know, you know. And then my mom, you know, she was always like my sister. And my grandmother was my mother. My mother was like my big sister. You know, as I got older and I started hitting the streets, I did everything with my mother. So drugs with my mother, smoked weed with my mother, you know, I did everything with my mother like I would do with one of my peers. So that's the relationship we always had, you know? Mm. And we still do to this day, you know what I'm saying? My mother, she's been clean for, because, you know, me and her had a pack, you know what I'm saying? It got so bad in the street at one point where my mother, you know, she always found a way to get, you know, because one of her nicknames on her 40th Street, they used to call her Squirrel, because she always get a nut, you know what I'm saying? They used to call her Squirrel. She'll find a way, you know? And it's funny, because I could laugh at all this stuff now, that my mom's kind of put me in a situation where, you know, it was definitely life-threatening. You know, I'm dealing with some very nefarious individuals, and it's like, 
this ain't even a game no more. Because it used to be something I could laugh at. My mom was like, oh, man, she got away with it. I mean, one time she took a, she she took my safe, right? And alhamdulillah, I wasn't nothing in it at the time. I had, you know, pretty much moved everything. But I had go, I went to another cat spot. And I just happened to glance and I seen them like, that look like my safe. Because I had a little mark on it. Yo, my mom's actually changed the whole cylinder in the lock and replaced it with a new joint. Because, I, I mean, when nobody was looking, I took my key and tried to put it in there and it didn't work. But I seen the little mark and I put it on. I'm like, that's my safe. But this was Cal Hawkers. Everybody knew my mother. You know what I'm saying? My mom's was wild with it. You know what I'm saying? But when it got to a point where my life was being jeopardized, and I told her, I said, listen, you know, you ain't never did this, you know. You've never put my life in jeopardy. This this is getting a little too far. Mm-hmm. So I made a pact with her. I said, look, if you stop getting high, I'll stop hustling. And she did that. And she's been clean ever since. And that was the day I kind of morphed into the music and took the music business mm-hmm. you know, extremely serious. When was that, though? Like You, you were still young at that time? When yeah, you- I was still young at that time. Because, I mean... Like, for me, first, like, the music stuff, I wasn't ever really into music. I mean, the, the, the whole pack with your mom. Like, with, oh, the pack with my yeah, mom, that happened that? around 18. I was about 18 at the okay. time. About 17, 18 years old at the time. You know. Hold on. Side note. Let me see what, what the hell. Um, somebody, the people from the place is hitting me up saying somebody parked their car in the um, in the driveway at the, at the, at the spot. In the somebody called another year? Oh, that's huh? They said somebody got to get out. Oh, um, let's figure this out. Um, oh, they, they hit me up. They know how to drive? Who? Do they know how to drive? Where's the key? No, I'm saying, do they know how to drive? They in the spot? I thought the first spot, you said they park in the first spot. I have no idea. that the, They just hit me and said somebody need to get out. What is blocked? I don't know. It wasn't there, nigga. It was there. I mean, it ain't gonna happen right now, man. Tell them they dub? I mean, what else you gonna tell them? You can't make everybody happy, yo. Yeah, it, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me. All right, yeah. What time was that? What time is it, Tati? It's on the top. It's the top left. No, not the time there. Huh? 30? 30? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, just let them know they're you know, they in the city. They're they making their way back to Jersey in about, you make up the time. I'm trying to do this interview, man. You you concerned yeah. with something that? No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just, we can't. What could we do? Never. Nothing. You're a good man, yo. We here. The lady calling my phone. Who's Sophia? Yeah. <laughs> you I, you don't let me get it. You laughing? See now, yeah. I'm gonna tell you about when I came in there. Yeah, was, all right. We're not gonna talk about that. We got nah, to cut nah, this part out. It was a car. We cut this part out. Listen, it was a, so, it was a car and some chocolate, dog. I told so, you, like, so, so let me ask you a question. Made me uncomfortable. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, real quick, what made you want to? All right. So, your grandfather. What did your grandfather do? What was his occupation? My grandfather was a World War II vet. You know, he fought in World War II. He was actually the first black captain in the Army Engineer, and he was a bona fide. Gambler. Johnny Hawkins was the truth. I done seen that man come home with cars, all kinds of stuff. He'd be 
beat Cat out of their socks. You know what I mean? And everybody knew Johnny Hawkins. And he was he was a stand up guy. He was a Renaissance man. And um, he was just well known, well respected for just being, you know, a very genuine gambler. You know, from off track betting, on track betting, you know, shooting craps. What was that lady name in Harlem? Um, the old lady. Let me see this lady name, man. I forgot. What? Uh, Ka- is it Catherine? Oh. oh I'm going to find out. Get, get, get. Yeah, go ahead, find out. All right, all right. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to know this stuff, man. What is it about Harlem, though, you think, that you, your opinion, that, that you know, like, it's, it's definitely different. Like, we said, we said behind the scenes, um, back in the days, you can get on the train and kind of recognize where people are from, from like what they're wearing or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Oh, he's from Queens, he's from Brooklyn. But like, in your opinion, what do you think it, it is about Harlem that gives it that, just that energy, the hustle, and all, you know, like that whole just vibe, like, where does that come from, you think? I mean, Harlem historically has always been a hub, you know what I'm saying, for musicians. And, you know, any type of art form breeds style, you know? And that's, for me, I've always accredited you know, the whole aviance that come with Harlem because of, you know, the influx of musicians and artists and poets and everybody that kind of migrated to Harlem to showcase their talents. Mm. And with all those talents comes individual style, you know. And that's why Harlem always had a certain level of individualism. Like, we wasn't... You know, like back in the days, like, you know, Brooklyn Cats was known for, you know, moving in numbers and stuff like that. But Harlem is always, you know, we like to stand on our own. We like to be, mm-hmm. you know, recognized for our own individual achievements, so to say. So, you know, growing up in that environment, it breeded like a certain, you know, like I said, certain type of atmosphere that, you know, just breeded a lot of style. And Stephanie St. Clair, that lady. The oh, you lady. talking about, yeah, yeah. She was, yeah, the number running uh-huh, lady. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, I mean, I, did I remind you of something? No, nah, I don't know her. Oh, I, know I ain't that know old, dog. Did your grandfather know her? I'm pretty sure he did. Stop playing. I'm pretty sure he did. I mean, I think everybody who, you know, at that time, because you're talking about the numbers business. Yeah. You know, and this is information and education that was passed down to, I think, anybody that grandparents or parents had a connection to that era. Because I don't think I'm unique in that, you know what I'm saying? Because I know the kids of all these these, these individuals, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So that was something that was always unique as well, you know, because, you know, Nikki Barnes got a daughter. Nikki, you know what I'm saying? You got every all of these kids. Jazz got kids my age, you know what I'm saying? I just was talking to Jamie McCoy, James McCoy's daughter. James McCoy was the guy that Wood Harris played in BMF hmm. from Brooklyn that was in Detroit, you know what I'm saying? He was a gun runner for the council, which was Nick Crew. So it's like we grow up knowing about all these people, you know what I'm saying? I had a million-dollar baby shower, you know, who had a million dollar baby shower? I did. Nick sponsored my baby shower. Who's Nick? Nicky Barnes. Yeah. 
I mean, you can say I. I mean, I. Yo, come on, man. I, 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 I promise you. Yeah, I you promise. Change you. your life. Don't start going back this direction. I mean, we talking about the past. We are gonna work our way up, right? To today. <laughs> we all, we all, we yeah, because you can't, you can't throw away today. <laughs> today is today. <laughs> so, 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 so. Okay, before we get to that, okay. So, grandpa's he was, but he raised. He taught you the most. Like he taught me everything. So how to become a boy into a man, basically. Yeah, like, I was tying wins and knots at eight years old. Like I, he taught me everything. What made you want to hustle? Harlem. Harlem. Yeah, Harlem. Harlem in itself, man, was like a Fortune 500 company. And I mentioned this to somebody else, that the way Harlem operated, it was always an opportunity to get some money. You know, even as a kid, just posting up on the block, being a lookout. Doing an eight-hour shift like any other job will earn you $100 a day. So you think about it. You on the block anyway. It's your block. Only difference is you limit your flexibility for eight hours because you got to be posted. And make sure nobody run up in the building or the police don't run up in the building and trap whoever off in the building. And that was a $100 gig. Sometimes it shorty hold this for me and walk with me. That could equate into some money. You know what I'm saying? So all of those things is what really groomed me. I, I I used to pack bags in the supermarket. I learned how to manipulate that. I would get other aisles and put fiends in those aisles. You know what I'm saying? So I'm packing one aisle, got two fiends packing two other aisles, and you know, and, and all that's my money. And I get them a little something at the end. We used to pump gas at a self-service station. It's self-service. You can get out and pump it yourself. But if I can, you know... Or for some convenience, I know I got you. I pump your gas. You get a tip, you know. I wash cars. Cars used to go through the machine, but I do detail. Got my little Armor All bottle, you know. I used to go to the Bronx, get my air fresheners for fifty cent. Come back to Harlem, selling for a dollar. I had a paper route on Sunday, and I bagged up for my cousin. You know what I'm saying? So I had a full life as a kid, you know, and. Yeah, I think Pro-Kez back there was only $10, $15. So to have, a, you know, every flavor of Pro-Kez, that was nothing from those hustles, you know. you know. And our little crew, you know, you had to be able to get your own two-piece in a snap box. You had to be able to pay your own way, you know, to, to hang out. You can't just be around, you know, all day and you ain't get no money. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I was as a kid. So, did you go to school? Of course. I was an A student, honor roll student. I just had behavior issues, you know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of that came from what I was experiencing with my mother, you know what I'm saying, my, yeah. not having a father. Because regardless if you know you have love present and you got structure present in your home, the absence of that biological presence is always going to be traumatizing. I don't care who you are, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't really know how to articulate words like I do now. I didn't know how to talk. You know, and I didn't have an intimidating voice, neither. You know what I'm saying? So if you sounded like Mighty Mouse and Cats not take you serious, you got to pick something up. You got to make it work. You know, you got to leave some kind of imprint. Got it. You know, so that that was what it was. But I was an honor roll student. I was extremely smart. And, and the thing was, 
I think that I exceeded a lot of my peers in school to where boredom used to sit in. And that's why I get in trouble because it's like I do my work and it's like it's, it's just too much free time right now. And I'm, I'm already done. I need something to do. You know, you could call it ADD or whatever, but I had an issue with just like I do my work and now like oh, I need something to do. Now I'm bothering other people. I think most kids are like that during school. Absolutely. Like now. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Kids, the kids who are a little advanced, they kind of just... Yeah, because it's structured to be one way. Some going to excel, some going to fall behind, but it's not anything that caters to those things. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's really what it was. I was in school. I had behavior issues. Like I said, I wasn't good at snapping. It was a lot of comedic dudes growing up. Because, you know, kids are cruel. They're going to say what's on their mind, even if it ain't the right thing to say, you know. Did you graduate? Did you graduate from high school? Nope. How many high schools you been to? I went to the first high school I went to was Beverly Hills High School. Yeah, I went to Beverly Hills High School in Beverly Hills, California. See, so you hmm. skipping stuff. Yep, I was in the same class as Angelina Jolie. Really? Yep, Monica Lewinsky was in the tenth grade. My godfather, he produced Crush Groove, you know what I'm saying? Disorderly, New oh, Jack wow. City. Like, he was a um, motion picture producer. So, I probably was the original Fresh Prince. So, wait, hold on. Before that, <laughs> you got to give us, like, like, stop. You can't just jump like that. Stop. I mean, you asked me high school. You jump. I know. I did jump. Okay. Because you in, you in, what made you go to California? Well, Will Smith had an incident on the basketball court, right? That's what got him to Bel Air. <laughs> For me, you know, my grandmother, she knew I fought a lot. You know, I used to fight all the time. And actually, you know, I boxed when I was very young. I was in martial arts. I was in a lot of things that my grandmother tried to put me in to exhaust all this excess energy I had. So she was accustomed to me always fighting. But it was an incident that took place where somebody got shot. And for her, that was like, how old were you at this time? At that time, I was probably about 12, 13. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that summer, it happened in the summer. I was in, I was in California maybe a month after that, if not sooner. So I spent the first summer there before school started, which was like around September or something like that. But, um... Yeah, that was that was an amazing opportunity for me. But I was too young and too Harlem to even understand what was being given to me at that time. So I kind of squandered the opportunity. I found myself, you know, affiliated with a known gang. And hold on, hold on. So somebody got shot. Yeah, somebody got shot in Harlem. In Harlem. And then grandma. And I was dead. So you know. Yeah, I was there. So when she got word that I was in proximity of that situation, the next move was, you know, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. <laughs> so, 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 how did she find out that you was there? My grandmother know everything. Everybody know Miss Evelyn, man. Anything so they, involving Chauncey at the time, like that name, you know, had trouble attached to it. It did. Yeah, people, see, like, it's funny, man, because there was only two Chaunceys in Harlem anyway. There's one in St. I mean, Lincoln Project. He was much older than me. And we cool to this day, but I was Chauncey, you know, I was, you know, it's, it's like that name 
was so associated with just, just trouble. trouble. So you they, know what so, I mean? So they sent you to Bel Air. Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, sorry. Yeah. Well, my godfather, like I said, he was a motion picture producer, and he had produced Crush Roof by then, Disorderlies, uh, JoJo Dancer, and at that time, he um, was working on New Jack City. Got it. You know what I'm saying? And you were... You were so you while were, he was working on New Jack City, he was actually in New York for like six months shooting in New Jack City, and I was in California trying to burn the whole state down. You were you were associated with a, a gang out there, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep. A, a known Crip gang. Okay, I was about to show my hat. All right, so you answer. What that stand for? Because you answered it. I was about to because if you didn't want to answer, I was gonna say. Um, that sounded like said see it for Chauncey. <laughs> <laughs> so you was you was you was associated with a known Crip gang. You yeah. got down with them. You they had they had they, had, they jumped you in. No need. <laughs> like, I'm being honest with you. You just gave it up like that, right? Nah, the thing down. is, I'm from New York. What we thing? fight. Listen, what I'm trying to explain to you. Every time I got in a situation, I was always being forewarned. Like, this ain't New York, nigga. You, you gonna get killed out here. You can't do that. This ain't New York. You can't just be putting your hands on people. Somebody gonna smoke you, New York. I just kept hearing this every time I was only being who I was. I was being a young kid from New York. This is how we dealt with our situations. But California was a whole different situation. And that's kind of where the whole loon thing came in. I was only behaving in a manner that was normal from where I came from. But to California, I was out of my mind. Because I was crossing a lot of boundaries that I didn't know I was crossing. You know, So being that I was already establishing that I could handle myself I don't think nobody felt like it was a need to give me no physical to be a part of, you know, no organization. You said it was a guy from California, uh, from the area in California, like they gave you your, your name Loon, correct? Or Pretty much. I mean, nah, I really came from people kept saying it to me, like, yo, you, hey, homie, you loony, because you can't do that out here. And I'm like, well, I don't understand what y'all I didn't even understand they slang, to be honest with you, because, you know, in New York, you got to say something real treacherous to get somebody on point. They would just straight up, hey, fool, say something else. I'm going to bomb on you. You be looking like, yo, he was serious. But in New York, you know, we got to say some real breathtaking stuff for us to really get on point, because we got smart mouths. We do. You know, but L.A. was different. They was more straight shooters. Chess all out, hey, homie, that's my word. And you looking at them like, man, we don't... <laughs> Back, so, uh, yeah, so it was, it was it, you know, I that's why I said, man, you know, I was always a student of life, mm. you know, I study every facet of any and everything that came to me because you only got one shot at this. A lot of people go through life just oblivious to stuff, they just got tunnel visions, like they just see things one way. I was very observative, and I benefited from being that way. And it taught me a lot about people, taught me a lot about the environments that I frequented, and it shaped me to be exactly who I am today. How long, so you was in class with Angelita Jolie? Yeah. Who else? Um, it was like a whole bunch of kids. Uh, Michael Landron's son from Little House in the Prairie. Um, it was a lot of kids there that was just all... 
they was all celebrities. You know what I'm saying? Did you mess with any Billy D. Williams' daughter? Did you mess with any celebrity girls? I mean, I don't know. Respect. I know he's gonna answer like that. How I knew that. I don't know. I know you can stand. I know he's gonna answer like that. Stop. I mean, you you asked the question, man. So so okay. When did you go back to New York? Because now you're giving trouble in Cali. You with Crips. Well, I end up coming back a little over a year. That's how I was in. That was I crashed that really fast. But I always maintained my ties out there. And, you know, when I got older, I started to, you know, return back to L.A. and, you know, exercise those relationships, so to say. But when I came back, I ended up going to um, Rice. Mm. Yeah. Because before I went to Cali, I got accepted some of the best schools. I'm talking about I got accepted Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, Bronx Science. That was like a number one school back in the day. Yeah, I started trying to tell you. I was smart. I just had behavior problems. My report card said A on one side. When you flip it on the other side, it always said need improvement, need improvement, need improvement. I had all N's or I's. I mean, um, U's, unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory. All behavior side. But the academic side was always A's. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not stupid. I never pretend to be stupid. You know, I'm not stupid. It's just that I had to learn how to control myself. So when I came back, I went to Rice. You know, I played ball. You know, Felipe Lopez was in my class. Another kid named Scientific Map. He was all American. Jerry McCullough who went to Pitt. Reggie Freeman, who was in the draft but didn't make it. Like, so I was surrounded by a lot of ballers, you know what I'm saying, that was playing ball. I used to know how to play ball, you know. And once again, you know, behavior. i never forget the dean of discipline was a guy named Mr. Fahey. Like, he just had it out for me. You know, and I ended up getting kicked out of Rice. And I went to Julia Richmond. So when you ask me really how many high schools I went to, I went to Beverly Hills High, I went to Rice, and went to Julia Richmond. Then I went to 201 to try to get my GED. And the second half of the test, I didn't go because it was a big game at Rucker and I didn't want to miss it. So I went to Rucker instead of finishing my GED. And I eventually got my GED on this bid that I just did in federal prison. So that whole time I was running around here, eighth grade dropout, a predicate felon at the height of my career. When everybody, Not grade, you mean 12? No, eighth. Oh, eighth. Oh, eighth. You, you count eighth. the grade you complete. You oh, count the grades grade. you go to. Got it. Yeah, Got so it. I went to ninth grade, to ninth grade, to ninth grade, to GED. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go up a little bit. So you do that. You in the, you know you outside. You make a deal with your mom. If you stop doing drugs, I'll stop selling I'll stop drugs. Hustling, yeah, yeah. That was a deal y'all made like face to face. Yeah, and I remember taking her to the bus myself, and I watched her go to rehab, and she eventually moved up to Rochester. And you know, she did what she said she was gonna do, and I did what I said I was gonna do. Because so, mm. that was I, I, like my sister. Like I said, you know, siblings make packs facts. that last. You know what I'm saying? And that's how you know me and my mother had a very unique relationship. Because she literally was like my big sister. How how did the music come together? How did you get involved with the music? 
music started as a therapeutic method. I used to write, like, diaries to help cope with things. Because I couldn't go to public school unless I had therapy. That was one of the conditions for me to even go to public school. You know, so I had a therapist for two days, you know, every week for four years. And it did a lot. It taught me how to talk, you know, and express certain things without judgment, you know. And then once that passed, because it was like two students, they were both like, they were studying psychology at City College. So one of the conditions was I was basically, you know, helping someone get through college by getting the treatment that I needed. So it was a fair trade-off. So when all of that stopped, I kind of, you know, it was hard for me because I, I didn't have that outlet. So I started to write, you know. And I would write a diary to unpack some of the things I used to bottle up. Because that's where most kids, they act out from bottling up stuff. You can't store all that, you know, because you walk around tick, tick, boom. So now something can actually transpire where a person end up getting something that really don't even belong to them over something, you know, small. So I developed this type of method of writing. Well, I would write it first like I was writing for a teacher. And then I write it over again like I was writing for somebody in jail. You know, you had all the slang and all that. Yo, remember your man D, da, 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 you write it. Like that. Then I would write it in rhyme. So by the time I finished that process, I was way over the issue. You understand? So it became therapeutic for me, you know. And then one day I got locked up for buying like a tagged up car. Never forget, it was like summer, 91. I bought a 91 Camry for somebody that tagged it up. So for those that don't know what a tagged up car is, it's three serial numbers on the car, and they changed those serial numbers. So I guess the guy who did it slipped a serial number, and I got jammed up for the car. So my man who I was getting money with came to pick me up from the precinct, and we was riding back uptown. He had uttered something that sounded very familiar. And I remembered I left my book at the spot. So when he read that, I said, yo, where you hear that from? He's like, yo, I was reading this joint. And I'm like, that joint hit hard because it's like, yo, nobody's supposed to have that. Nobody's supposed to ever see that. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't doing it for no vanity. It was therapy for me. But instead of discouraging me, he encouraged me. He's like, yo, you should, you should, you should stick to this. Like, this is, this is dope. You know. And once he told me that, I took it to another therapeutic method of rewriting what transpired in my favor. So, for example, I might have went and, you know, at the time purchased something from, you know. Get back, do my one, two, and like 128 grams disappear. Now, you know, I wish I what I could do to Poppy. I, you know, I want to do it, but I could write it to where I just, you know, I could, I could wipe out the whole Broadway if I want. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and, and it helped. You know what I'm saying? And I think that for me, that was my origin of articulating certain things a certain way. Not for the sake of glorification, but for therapeutic reasons, 
But I think a lot of artists, you know, started to just do it just for glorification, maybe to raise they self to be something they ain't, whatever the case may be. But for me, that was how I was dealing with stuff. So how did you, you're making music, you're writing music. When did the whole transition to the studio, like the whole getting into the music industry? I was a writer. You know what I'm saying? I never really aspired to be in front of no camera. Because at the time, you know, I had visited a lot of places hustling. You know, like New York in general, specifically Harlem dudes, you know, we stuck a flag in a lot of different states. You know, and I had several different aliases every state I went to while I was hustling. I could be black hair, I could be blue hair, I had all kinds of... so. I never aspired to get in front of the camera knowing the stuff that I was out there doing. So I was a writer. And the first person I actually wrote for and got a check was Shaquille O'Neal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What age? It's like 95. I'm going to let you do the math since you looking up Adam Sinclair and all that. You do the math. What songs are you wrote for him? Um, I forgot the name of the song. Not to... Um it was the album. Not the Rain song, right? Um, no, nah, that was Biggie wrote that. Right, yeah, right, Biggie right. wrote that one. But this was the project that Lord Tariq and Peter Guns wasn't writing no more. I started to write. Okay. You know. But hold on, that was your first. Like, but who you wrote for before that? Um, myself, my cousin. I used to try to like formulate groups, mm -hmm. you know, through my own writing. But how does it go all the way to Shaq? Yeah. How, how you saying? just jumped? <laughs> you said in the industry. Yeah, yeah. You ain't say. Oh, yeah, when turn you one. said in the industry, that's why I said the first time I wrote and got a check. You did say, "Oh, I forgot." Yeah, you very. It's okay. I'm speak. listening to you. Yeah, I don't know if you. I can't. To me. I can't trip you up. <laughs> it's all right. Everybody you got your laces. Uh, let me see. They tied. Okay. All right. I yeah. can't trip you up. Right, so how'd you get? I, from... I definitely don't wear slides in public. I don't understand. I, I yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't understand how people do that. I ain't even wear slides in prison. Like I just. I keep sneakers on. So how'd you get from writing for yourself and your cousin to, to write for Shaq? The thing was, back then, I didn't know nothing about the business. You know what I'm saying? People just seen I had potential. And, you know, I was trying to exercise what potential people saw in me. First deal I ever got was in 96 with Tommy Boy and me and my man Jay Nitty we had a group called Crime Family you know and we had an album called Harlem World you know Fat Man Scoop had signed us and then he left so it was like you were the only person at the time as an A&R who understood what we were doing so we kind of remained stagnated at Tommy Boy and then Mace came out in 97 and coined the term Harlem World. Did you know Mace beforehand, though? No. I knew of him as far as, like, playing ball, but I didn't know him. You didn't know Puffy at the time, either? Nah, I knew of him because he went to St. Charles with my partner that I was rapping with, Nitty. Because Nitty a little older than me. Him and Puff the same age. You know what I'm saying? So when I was, like, in my teens, Nitty was in his early 20s. You know? So hold on, so hold on, hold on, so, so. First time I ever heard about Puff was the City College joint. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That was the first time I ever heard of him as a promoter. 
Because it was really a heavy D doing, event. Doing the, doing the parties with the, 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 somebody passed away. Oh no, the, the, nine uh, people died. No way, whatever, right? Nine people died. Like yeah, it was the, a stampede. The suffocation. The suffocation. Yeah, it was a stampede. Mm-hmm. They had went beyond the capacity of the place and somebody shot in the air or glass broke something. Everybody panicked and nine people died. And that was, I think, a lot of people's introduction to who Sean Combs was at the time. Because he was a promoter. You know, he was a dancer at the time and a promoter. So I didn't really know anything. I didn't read too deep into that neither. I didn't really know him until like later. Okay, so you 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 and your man Nitty mm-hmm. had an album called Harlem World. Yep. That then, Tommy Boy slept on. We never released it, but people knew about it. Mace included because we used to perform at Maria Davis joints. You know. You know, uh, we used to do SOBs, all of those spots, SOs. Oh, we, we performed all in that circuit. Jay-Z, uh, uh, Smoother Hustle, Trigger the Gambler. Everybody, we was all known for doing, like, these functions, you know. Because at the time, that was the climate. Those were the guys that was, you know, frequenting in these clubs. So it was known because we was actually performing these records. We performing Harlem World and stuff like that. So when May signed with Puff... And kind of coined it, and he blew, you know. And but it was it was internal issues that was taking place in Harlem that a lot of people wasn't aware of, you know, because that might have been the first time somebody ever took something from me. And you're talking about with no gun, no kung fu, none of that. I mean, just joint just walked off somewhere and landed in, you know, on the tongue. Do you think he was he was familiar that you? Had that album out, or he just... I think he was familiar with what we was creating. Because at the time, you know, Harlem had a bunch of groups that, you know, just evolved. Because, we you know, Harlem was not known for rapping. Like, you know, we had... We was we was the backdrop to hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? We didn't wear Adidas suits and all that. Cass was wearing furs, and then, you know, Sergio Ticini and AJ Lee. You know what I'm saying? You know, we came to those functions. And, you know... Bought that aviance, cause that's what I, at least that's what I bear witness growing up. You know what I'm saying? So at the time you had BBO, you know what I'm saying? Heard about that? Yeah, BBO was best ballers out. I was white bread. I think Mace was down with BBO at one time. Blinky Blink. Uh, who else was down with them? Then you had Major League, my man Fute, and um, Norm Fats. Then you had eventually Children of Corn. Mace left BBO was over there. It was him, you know, Big L, you know, Ken, Bloodshed, and Herb McGruff. And then me and Nitty had crime family. So we were all trying to figure out, you know, and the first to really make it was Herb McGruff. He signed to Uptown. He was the first one. He did a single with Monifa. Well, Monifa's single, he rapped on it. He was an Uptown artist. Heavy D signed Gruff. So Gruff was the first one to lead a stable. Technically, out of everybody in Harlem that was rapping, Gruff was the first. Really? Herb McGruff was the first. What's his name? Herb McGruff. Herd? Herb. Herb McGruff. Yeah. Double check your face. Yeah. Shaky a little bit. Oh, the I Miss You song. Huh? The I Miss You song about um, Onifa, right? Yeah. The I Miss You. Yep. That was, that was fire. So yeah, okay. Yeah, that was Gruff. I didn't know that was. I didn't know who that was rapping on the song, but I know, I know the record though. Yeah, it was Herb McGruff. So and, then, Mc- and then Coley, you know, L was with digging in the crates. 
you know, he was with Lord Finesse, Andre mm. the Giant, and um, Diamond D, Fat Joe. You know, I was digging in the crates. So, so okay, hold on. So, he was the first one to go there as I get signed, you know, by Heavy D and stuff yeah. like that. So, he's moving and shaking. Yeah. And you guys figuring out. Mace Coin Hall in the world. Um, was there any misunderstanding or conversation that had to be had, or y'all left it at what it was? I think that it was a conversation definitely needed to be had, but it was just not manifesting because we were moving in two different spaces and we never was able to share space. Had we shared space, it probably wouldn't have been a good look at that time, just to be all the way honest with you, you know. But Mace is a very intelligent person, so based on the success of his solo project, that's when he came back and wanted to form the Harlem World Group. Now, the Harlem World Group originally was supposed to be me, Cam, Big L, Herb McGruff. You know what I'm saying? So probably it was really probably perceived to be the new children of the corn, so to say. But at the time, I don't think nobody was really rocking with dude like that. So, you know, I kind of stuck around and wrote a lot of the songs on that album and tried to use it as a promotional vehicle for my solo project. Because I had signed to Clive Davis. I was an Arista artist. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Clive allowed me to do the Harlem World Project because he believed in what I, you know, what I suggested. I said, you know, I could use this as a vehicle to propel my solo career. And he was intrigued did, that I thought that way. How did you end up going to, going getting signed to Clive? Well, it was a um A&R that worked for Arista. Her name was Drew Dixon. And me and Drew was tight. And basically, she set up the meeting with Clive. I rapped for Clive. Clive signed me. Hmm. I was the first solo artist, rap artist ever signed to Arista. Yep. And I immediately started, you know, working on the album. But then eventually he left the Form J Records. And Drew wanted to stay at Arista with L.A. Reid. And that probably wasn't the best decision. Who who did you write for? Who me? I mean, I wrote for Puff, of course. I wrote a I wrote for Puff in the Forever album. You know what I'm saying? I had wrote for him before I got down with Bad Boy. You know, I wrote for a lot of the you know members of the Harlem World Group. I wrote for HUD. You know, I wrote for um. Rest in peace. Huh. Rest in peace to HUD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like. I was just always trying to like create an environment that worked for all of us. You know, I never really had any selfish intent. Wasn't a me, me, me rapper. If you listen to my music, I don't really talk about myself every bar. I actually liked it, you know, paint pictures, you know, do songs. But I'm just trying to figure out, first and foremost, People said that you sound like Mace, remember? remember? Yeah, I think people always try to find something to identify with. You know what I mean? I mean, when Sean first came out, everybody said he sounded like Biggie. Okay, hold but on. I always thought the format that he used was more similar to Slick Rick, if you listen to the way Slick Rick rap. Not the story form, just the way he delivered. Do you know that the slow, melodic way that Mace rapped, you, you, did, you did the same thing? 
Were you aware of that? Nah, you don't I, think you I never like looked at it that way. You never saw, you don't, you never thought that you sound like him at all. Never. No, nah. because I'm gonna tell you why. If you take a Mace record, you could slide a verse, a bar out of it and put it at the top of the song, and it never change. Because they just, you know, is they one liners. But if you take a line out of a song I wrote, it's not gonna be the same. Talking about the tonality, the melodic. We're not talking about the delivery. We're talking about the structure. Because as a writer, you're looking at a song being written a certain way versus the way it's being delivered. I got it. You know what I'm saying? So if we both got a certain kind of monotone, whatever the case may be. Melodic. Yeah. I believe there was some similarities in that because I I don't think it was something that was forged, though. It. it wasn't intentional. It wasn't intentional. That's gotcha. just the voice he got. Actually, we grew up with another cat from Harlem, my man Biz, Marquise. You know what I'm saying? Biz and Maze talk exactly the same way. Hmm. Like, if you heard both of them on the phone, you would think it's the same person. They both had that, you know, you know they used to be talking. That's how they talk, you know? My voice is my voice. I think just because... His voice was the introduction to that sound that you're going to instantly think that, you know. I used to think King T. I thought, I thought Biggie used to sound like King T. You know who King T is? You Google it. You, yeah. King T was a West Coast rapper. Then they just had some stuff come out about this kid in Mississippi named Big something that actually used the same. It, it's just like, it's just, I, I don't know. That. I think I saw that. Yeah, people, people want, you know. Like I said, you know, you, you got to have something to identify with. Right. And I think that the similarity is, 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 is definitely something near. But as you listen, like I said, the way a song is structured, you'll see where the differences come in. I mean, of course. I think, you know, if, if someone really who's into music and has the ear for it, they can play and, and tell a difference. But, you know, I think for someone who's just putting it on or if you just in the club you hear a record you might be like oh it sound like this dude or is this Luna's a mace we're not sure yeah. but those who just kind of like listening real quick you know but you know especially at that time I feel like it was only a few people that sound like that it sound like that you yeah know, that's I was what I'm saying him, that was, was it was legitimate too, well, behind the scenes it's, it's, a, it's a guy that we know in Queens named um, Hits that, that raps too mm-hmm. um, he didn't get to y'all level you know what I'm saying but he was on the ground in Queens he was doing his thing at, at that time also and I would always tell him I compare him to like you or Mace because he had that same kind of like just, he was a smooth guy, a little slow talking. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, but just, people could say like people lumped Fab into that. If you listen to Fifty Twenty One Questions, you know what I'm saying. It's kind of the same vibe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Hey, hold on. So, so I'm getting text from this girl right there to the left. She's saying that melodic was the wrong word. The correct word is monotone. Monotone. You heard me say Flip that word. Flip will do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Nah, but he heard, not, she heard me say monotone. Do not, do not text Flip Lilo, Lilo, when he's on live, Lilo wrote when he's that. on the podcast, because he would tell you, he would say. Lilo, Lilo wrote that. <laughs> Shout out to Lilo. Lilo said they don't sing like A-Boogie. Now, you know, because Lilo is a dancer from the Get Like Day. She said he don't sound or, like Mace. They have similar Harlem, Harlem cadence. Hmm. That's a good observation. Yeah, hey, Lilo, shout to you. Yeah, man. that's a you great know, observation. Lilo, shout to Lilo. Yeah, listen for anybody who comes to the, the, in in the presence of Queens Flip on the live or on the podcast, do not <laughs> say anything because he will say what you say exactly from the Lilo text. Lilo Morton. 
He would not hit L O M O R. He won't do it. He won't do it alone and just try to ask the question. He gonna be like, yo, you don't realize you you just bungee from the girl on the left and you went all the way to her government name. That's an Instagram name. She's a dancer though. That's why she's a dancer. So like for you said, yeah, yeah, I sure, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I know. You know how you know how I feel about the lifey culture, man. So she's coming back into it. Okay. But okay. Thank you for correcting me, Lilo. Yeah, she's Appreciate a it. <laughs> so, and, and your son was over there saying the same thing. He was putting me on like, uh, so that y'all agree. All right, thank you. Each one teach one, but I'm still the king. Right? Let's relax. I don't like to be corrected. Hey, um, look, that's how but... paid in full end. Be careful. She corrected me. I was I was texting her like, no, but she was dead right. I, was, I googled dead her like right. she right. Yeah. Dead right. So, okay, so Mace comes back around. And, and how? Do, but what, what I'm saying is that how do they get you to join Harlem World? Who do they, they speak to you through Nitty? Nah, Mace use a mutual party. My man Trell. Trell was the one that came to me and was like, "Yo, someone to talk to you." Cause I wasn't like I said at that time. We wasn't gonna do no talking. Because I felt like it was a certain level of, you know, just disrespect to, like, it's cool. I mean, I always thought he was dope. But you was going to be dope without taking Harlem World. You was going to be dope regardless. You know what I'm saying? But whatever opportunistic, you know, you know, attempt he made, which eventually, you know, manifests into a, a great career. He ultimately, by default, became my nemesis. And you got to have one of those. I see how you look at it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because, say, for me, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't get that invested. I try to see what I can extract from it to motivate me, to make me better. You know what I'm saying? I never was a fan of a man that could get fixated on another man and just have no control over himself no more. I looked at it like, okay, game on. You know what I'm saying? Because eventually, your talent is going to be recognized and somewhere down the line, which I had to fight through some layers, though. I had to fight through, you know, just like, like you mentioned, being... You know, typecast or you know, looked at like with similar. I had to go through that in order to establish myself. True. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have to go through that. He became the iPhone. I became the Samsung. Eventually, you know, became neck and neck with iPhone, so to say. You know, but that's I mean, you know, that's just an analogy. But the thing is, I looked at it like game one. You know. Because the way I rap before that, if anybody that really knew Loom before, I was introduced into this lane that Puff had created. I wasn't bucking it, you know? I wasn't a person that felt like it was taking a stab at my integrity or whatever the case may be. Because I think a couple of, you know, a lot of artists, now, you know, kissing them, they kind of, it wasn't for them. It just wasn't a fit for them. They wasn't wrong for pivoting and saying, like, that's not for us. You know, and, and time, history tells you that it wasn't for them. 
the locks was dope being the locks, you know what I'm saying? Trying to dress them up and put them in that element wasn't for them. Got it. You know? But for Loon, I mean, I was a little reluctant at first, but then I looked at, hold up, I'm following. And what man going to not, we doing this for the girls. We ain't doing this for the guys. I'm not trying to be in no sausage factory. Like, no, I'm not, oh, I ain't oh, doing oh, it for the pause. Oh, but I'm just saying, like, I never seen myself oh, performing man. for a bunch of dudes in hoodies. I don't think, I don't think your culture allow you to say sausage. You got to stay away from that. It's pork. Well, I mean, you know, it's a figurative term. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to be in a predominantly male environment. There we go. There we nice. go. Does that work? It's good. It's good. <laughs> you know, hyper, yeah. He's a smart guy. You know, he Dude, got, stop. He got straight A's. It's I cool. see you smiling. Yeah. He got straight A's and other side got used. Yeah, I mean, I can make it make sense. I ain't, you know, I ain't got to, like I said, I don't have a problem with correcting myself. But, but, so here's the thing, though. So, my thing is that, okay, when mates come back, you have the conversation, he gets you to sign the Harlem World. Mm-hmm. You, Huddy Six, who else? Well, that's eventually what it evolved into because what initially was supposed to be the you plan can. is what had me sold. You know what I'm saying? But then I looked at it, like I said, as a vehicle. I can use this mm-hmm. to propel my Arista career. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the opportunity of, you know, partnering with Jermaine Dupree. Because you got to remember, all out did they deal through so so death through so so death through Columbia, mm-hmm. so it was still a major situation regardless of how it came out. At that time, that was the only way you got on. You had to be affiliated with some major, some major label or major distributor that could you know mm-hmm. get your music where you needed to get. You know these are different times now. I don't really know the dynamic of how music business works now, but back then, you know what I'm saying. Signing to an indie was like putting yourself on a shelf. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Signing to a major can end up that way if you don't have nothing to offer. You can end up on a shelf as well. You know what I'm saying? But being that he worked something out with Jermaine Dupree, and it was like, okay, I could be a part of that. And we got money. You know what I'm saying? You know, I've always owned my publishing. I never not owned my stuff. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So every song that I wrote on Howlin' World, I ate. Every song I ever wrote on Bad Boy, I ate. You know? But what I'm... Okay, so... Harlem World doesn't... You you guys did that record. What's that record called again? Hold on. The first single was I Like It. Mm. To this day, I still believe that was a horrible choice really? for a first single. Oh, with T and Tamara. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it was an extension of what Mace had already did. I really, really. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at you, look at you. <laughs> you look crazy. Awesome. Yeah, that, you know, flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 opened us up. Really, Mace to well to a whole lot of scrutiny, man. Like we got. All right, so who's there? Who's who's in there? I see. All right, I see you. I don't know these other guys. I see Huddy. I see Stace. Stace rapped on it. Mace rapped on it. Who's the other guys a part of the group? Um, I think Blink rapped on that too. I'm not sure. I didn't rap on that song. I was just in the video. Trying my best to avoid the camera. So if you look at the video, it's a lot of, you know, me trying to duck. Because I just wasn't comfortable with that as the first single. 
just being honest with you, you know what I mean? But I wasn't in a position to make those executive decisions. So, you know, I'm a team player. But what single you thought should be first? Hmm, that's a good question. The song with him on it? Huh? I said the song with you on it? Well, the second <laughs> single was Cali Chronic, and I didn't particularly think that was a a good a representation of a Harlem group, you know? Hmm. So, you know, I mean, I haven't heard that album in eons. I don't even know what's on there anymore. Who is that? That's why you got the name of my tattoo cover. Was that Blinky Blink? Yeah, that was Blink. That was Blink. That's my dog. Me and Blink still tight to this day. We went to school together. That's my man. So, Okay. Let's get it together. So I see you dancing. This yeah, video get it together because we we spend a lot of time on this one right here. B. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to forward it, but it's you, like you know, you, you pull it over and just parallel park. Nah, 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 like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm watching you dance. You got crazy. So you was getting crazy. You hey, was yo, dancing, homie. For real? Yeah. You, don't act like you ain't know you. Was so dancing. that's what the see for your hat mean, huh, cat? <laughs> <laughs> yo, you did. I, 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 no, let me zoom in on it. I mean, zoom in on it. Ah, chill. That's Mace, look. You gonna see my man dancing with uh, Hey, yo, but hold on. All right, so. I say I participated. I want to call that dance. <laughs> look, look. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <my> man. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, all right. Did the Harlem World album do good? No. It didn't do good? It didn't do good. How did you end up getting with Puff? Well, I got with Puff, like I told you, I wrote for him on the Forever album. So he was able to see under those circumstances at the time that I had the ability, you know, you know, to write a, a, a song that was viewed to be acceptable from him. So when I signed to Arista, even after the um, Harlem World situation, Clive still offered me opportunity to do a solo album. But then he left to go form J Records and instead of, you know, my A&R at the time choosing to go with the man that gave us a shot, she wanted to stay at, L you know, with L.A. Reid at um, Arista, you know. And I think L.A. Reid had some big shoes to fill and he had his own roster. He had outcasts. He had all the stuff that he needed to fill a void, you know what I'm saying. And just Loon wasn't registering as an asset to that. So Mark Pitts, who was my manager, was Biggie manager. You know, he ended up getting the position, you know, in the A&R department at Arista. And at that time, it was kind of considered a conflict of interest because it's like you can't really fight for me in a situation where, you know, you have an obligation. So to kind of like make it a win-win for everybody, he was like, yo, I heard Puff is in, you know, Miami working on the compilation album. Maybe I could set that up. So he did set it up, and I was scheduled to go there for four days and write two songs. And I ended up staying four weeks, and I wrote 11 songs. You know, and that was, from that was his history. How the hell you got on I Need a Girl? Well, I remember Claire's day, we was at Circle House Studio. And Puff was explaining to me 
not so much in detail, but just kind of like uttering things that transpired between him and his ex-girl at that time. J-Lo. His ex-girl at that time. <laughs> you messy, dog. Respect, respect. I told you how me and my family, we talking in a certain kind of. Gotcha. So ex-girlfriend at that time. And. You know he had a girl that like her in the video. I just reminded you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He okay, did that. You. In case you haven't watched it in a long time and you don't watch television. No, I watch television. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't listen to music <laughs> if I can help it. But, right, what happened was him explaining to me all of these details, he literally was just writing a song. I was just processing it all. And at that same token, I remember prior to this conversation, I kept trying to like feed him loom records because it's like I'm I'm trying to like I'm trying to do what I do, but you know like you know you a street dude you think okay cool big homie going through something let me help him get on his feet and eventually he'll turn around and do you know reciprocate the same thing. That's just our mentality in the street. There's a certain kind of loyalty that we have to a fault where we think that if you extend a certain courtesy, it's gonna return. So I'm listening to everything he's saying. I'm just saying to myself, you know what? I got to do this to free him from his situation, and eventually, you know, he'll come around. Because it was a rough time for him. I mean, you know, he was going through a lot. You know that case? Yeah. Sean went to Sean. jail. Mm -hmm. Lost your girl. You know, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot. So me being who I was, I kind of processed everything he was saying, and I literally wrote the song verbatim. To what he was saying, you know. So he was telling you he needed J Lo back. He I mean, no, life. that wasn't it, because it would have been I need J Lo. That wasn't the name of the song. If you lose your girl, what you need? A girl. Okay, there we go, Flip. But he wanted J Lo back, so I'm trying to play. Her hey, like look, she, man, I don't know her. what that man she wanted. Her, I, I just she told was, you I knew what she I was wanted, her, bro. He, he was him. I told you what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted my opportunity to come to fruition. So if I got to free a man who's my partner at the time from whatever anguish or difficulty he was going through, let's handle that first. And then we'll, and then we'll double back and do loom. You know what I'm saying? Record was fire. Hit. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story, man, because that record was kind of a struggle for me. You know? Cause when I got the beat, it wasn't complete. It was just. I, what are you? Are you, are you okay? You, are you dancing? To I need a girl in your head. Yeah. So the beat just used to go. I was like, Yo, what are we gonna do with this? It wasn't that slow though. It wasn't put together. Nah, it was. It was just it, in my mind. It sounded like it was just. Oh my god, yeah. what are we gonna do on this? Like this is not. But he. And this is why people don't ever want to not trust Puff, just to give him his flowers. Because it's like, when you've had so many unique moments where you try to share vision that people don't see, and you finally just kind of give in and it manifests into something great, you don't ever want to not bet on that person. You know what I'm saying? And that's why he's going to always, to some degree, always remain relevant because it's like you don't want to not bet on him. So when he was trying to, I guess, 
convinced me that this is it. So eventually I just stopped fighting myself. Because I was like, look, I need some help. We got to put something on it. So Justin Timberlake, I think he initially tried to do the chorus. And then he got Usher on it. And then now when I'm hearing the beat with Usher, it made sense. It was like, okay, I can work with this. But just that skeleton was driving me crazy. I was like, yo, this is just, I, can't, I don't understand. Mm. You know? So he was right. It was a huge record. You wrote part two as well? Yeah. This is what I need. Now, oh. let me tell you something about that. I told him. Yo, I told him that was going to be bigger than part one. I told him that. Because he wanted to make it a remake. So I'm like, nah. He's like, what you mean? It got to be part two. Because it registers as a whole new song. I own publishing. We're not going to do no remakes. Remakes is just to extend the life of a record. You don't get, that's not a new song. It's a remix. It's going to be part two. Now it's a new song. So you own, the, you own your publishers? Yeah. Yeah, at the time I owned everything. At that time, you don't own it no more? I sold it. Oh, you sold it? Okay. You sold it when you... When you... Yeah, when I became Muslim, I just... Got rid of it. Yeah. I mean, I still I still receive, you know... Oh, yeah, I still really? You dabbling, huh? No, nah, I'm just smart, man. I just try to... It's a business. You know what I'm saying? Anything you sign sold up it. for, Come you got to know what you're getting yourself into, right? You're not supposed to be going back and forth with music. You talked to me the other day. No, nah, this is old stuff. That money became Muslim with me. I ain't do nothing new. Yeah. Hey, G Money, man, tell him. Look. He cool. You know what box? You can't say he cool, man. What? How you giving him so fast? The money became Muslim with me. G, are you shitting me? Yeah. How you giving me he cool? Because I didn't do nothing new. So when I took Shahada. That money took shot. You didn't open the box. Are you getting me cool? I secretly opened it. I tell you what. He tried to slam your fingers in the box. G. That's crazy, yo. He tried to gas you. He tried to gas you. That's crazy. Stop. That's my man. Stay that's out of my crazy, business. That's crazy, man. That's, yo, that's that man's no, fingers, fine. man. So, <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. All right, so. Wow. You did that. How were you able to get the publishing? See, a lot of people weren't able to get their publishing. How were you able to get See, it? See, you asked for a lot. I got a documentary I'm doing. I see. I'm going to give you the goods, though. You know? The thing is, and I'm going to make this short. Okay. After I Need a Girl Part 1, Part 2, video and all, both videos, I still wasn't signed. Mm. So, obviously, at that point, I got leverage, right? We in the door now. Yo, I'm going to tell you a story. You don't know about the story of Motown when Barry Gordy sold Motown? No. Tell me he that. overlooked Stevie Wonder because he blind. He was the last one to consult. But Stevie Wonder wrote a lot of records. Mm. So, you know, you overlook the blind guy. And, you know, you try to make sure you square everything out with Smokey and everybody else. That's a factor. But when it came to Stevie, Stevie milked, was the, he milked the cow. He was, yeah. Yeah. That's you know what I'm saying? Hmm. I learned from that stuff. You know, I, like I said, I pay attention to. You know, that's not something you premeditate. It's just like when the opportunity presents itself, you go on your roller decks and like, oh, this kind of seems like the same situation that boom, boom, boom. So hmm. now I have an opportunity to, you know, be smart. Can I ask you a personal question? Depends, man. 
At what age you had your first child? 16. We got him. Got him? This man was moving reckless. How you getting wild? How you get reckless? He was moving reckless at a young age. 16? I'm just saying, I was young. Was your, what, uh, your oldest child is what, a boy? No, a girl, 31. You have a 31 year old? Yeah. Hmm. What number is Sade? She's the second oldest. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. How, how many children, mother, do you have? You said a personal question. Okay. Oh, oh snap. he got me. He got me. He got me. Yeah, listen to yourself sometimes. I do. Man. I do. Yeah. I do. You know your children's names? Absolutely. Just making sure they, they was born. Everything. I'm just making sure you own your job. My job is to help you and remind you who you are. Amir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so 16, so 16 was your, mm. 16 was your, wow, that's a young age. How did that change your, your life around? Changed yeah. everything. Changed everything. Because, I mean, especially having a girl, you know. I have a lot of females in my family. Mm-hmm. So you was either going jump double dutch with him or be a protector. You know what I'm saying? I chose protector. <laughs> so now this task becomes permanent. Because I got a girl of my own that I got to protect. Respect. You understand? So with that being said, My thought process changed because now I got to think twice. You know what I'm saying? The spontaneity that come with my old thought process is what got me in a lot of trouble. Mm. You know what I'm saying? There's some thought in there, but it's more like, okay, a thought than a reaction. But now you have someone else you got to live for. Mm. Does the world know how much children you have or you don't talk about that? No, I don't talk about that. Okay, respect. You respect your privacy. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it's not so much about just privacy. It's just nobody's business. Respect. You know what I'm saying? Respect. Because, especially in this day and age, you know what I'm saying, people just think they have the right. Got it. To, you know, depict you to be what they want you to be. Got it. You know? Did you, um, nah, last one, the, um, did you... Did you put any pressure on yourself, you know, with, with your first kid and, and, and thinking about your, your parents, how they raised you and like to, to be like even better than what they were? You know what I'm saying? I think me being young, my daughter was more my friend. Like, you know, I treated her like she was my friend. You know, I never had to chastise her, never had to be authoritative or anything. Mm. It was always a certain level of communication that was always just effortless, you know, seamless and easy. And she was a good kid. She made it easy to be a father at 16. That's what's up. You know, she she made it easy. That's what's up. You know? And that's, and that's not, like, I, I could imagine, like, JR. JR seems like he made it easy. To be a good dad. That's my man. Yeah. Now your little one, yo, he Nico. off the chain. Nico. Uh -oh. 
Chill out. <laughs> he off the chain, though. You got off the chain one too that I know personally. Yeah, I understand, but I'm just uh, saying. You want to talk about her? I'm just saying, uh, though. Yeah, yeah, you got a turned up one. <laughs> if your son know even the temp that handled me like he be handling his brothers. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> it's crazy. Hey, yo, he's wild, B. Nico, Nico, yeah, Nico is wild. Shout out to Nico. I ain't seen Nico yeah. in a little while, yeah. man. That's my yeah. guy. Shout out to Nico. He probably smart, too. Very. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Behavior and smart, you know, it's just some is is a mean cocktail. Cause Shade is smart. She is. Shade She's Shade. extremely smart. She is. You know, she but, she, she has a, she's a very unique person. You know, I, I she's her own her. person. Yeah, I think like te- like all my kids are. I don't have a clone. I don't have a junior. You know what I'm saying? Man, right there. Yeah. He, he, he probably the closest to my upbringing. He was born and raised in Harlem. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, our relationship, even with the, 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 the gap between, you know, me being in his life, when we did, you know, when our paths did cross, it was like we never missed those years. And that's something I'm extremely grateful, you know, for. But I think because of the way he came up, he's extremely relatable. It's like I was the same kid running around Harlem, loved, respected, ain't imposing no type of, you know, character that's appalling or anything. It's just people just genuinely like him, genuinely love him. You know what I'm saying? And he got a problem with his hands too. You know. Are you fighting? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He don't start him though. He finish him though. Mm. I definitely say that. I was the same way too. I didn't start no trouble. Mm. You know. Do you like? <clears throat> now this is this is, and, and I appreciate you acknowledging that, acknowledging your children. I think it's dope. I think that sometimes we. You know, growing and I feel like on your path in life, you know, you open your eyes to different things. You were young. Yeah, I was and young. A lot of things happened and stuff like that. And, you know, shout out to Sade. You know, she always talked about, how, you know, how she lived with you and she she was a troublemaker. I'm like, Sade, man, stop. But that was one of her things. Like, she said, yo, she, she said she always been the way she is now. She always has. She ain't like, Sade has always been special you know sometimes too special <laughs> and when she told me that i'm like she said that you know i said shot you can't be too special yeah. now nah, at one point she was a middle child you know what i'm saying because she had an older sister then she had a brother that was under her so she was always kind of like torn between got it got the, it. the 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 allocation of attention got it you know, the distribution of attention. It's like my oldest daughter, she was selfish. She was like, yeah, I don't, don't want to hang with, like, like, just my siblings, you can get with them another day. We had plans. It's like, that was this the older one. She was the muscle in on her, her time. She digged the whole, you know, because, you know, you try to do the collective thing. Let's all just, you know, one big, okay. We ain't going to do that all the time, though, because I need my time. Because she was, you know, Daddy's first little girl, you know, and then Sade 
she yearned for that as well. And she got it. But then when she didn't get it, it's like, you know. And then my son at the time, he was like pretty much the only boy. So it was a certain kind of uniqueness to the tension that he got and then the first and he got and then Sade was in the middle of that, you know. But she always, I mean, you know, me and her always had a very unique relationship. Does does anything about her or any other children remind you? Because you said your son, he reminds you of you. What about Sade? What reminds you? What about- they all got something in me in them. Got it. But she's Carol Hawkins. She's more like my mother. She's very much more like my mother. When people try to say Sade's like me, she's not like me. She's like her grandmother. Got it. Yeah. What she has with me is her intellect, her ability to assess things. Yes. And find herself in promising environments where a lot of good can come out of it. You know what I'm saying? Now she get she, to it. Yeah, she get to it. But now what she do all you know every you know in those particular moments is really where she's growing. Got you. She's evolving because the, you know the ability to get in those spaces. A lot of people would do anything to just have that one time. Shadi always end up there. You know what I'm saying? She literally oh. called me last night. She was in the studio where Kanye was at. She was like, yo, you know, I said, she, I was like, yo, just tell him, you know, who your dad is. That's my man. But, you know, that's she's always finding herself somewhere. I just feel like, yo, how do you end up in these places? Like, <laughs> she, get, she, she get to it. Yeah. She, 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 I mean, I was in jail getting calls. Like, yo, just bumped into your daughter. Yeah, she get to it. Like, yo, yo, she official. And I'm like, oh, boy. So, so, um, we're going to move forward. What made you leave Bad Boy? Because you said you, did you end up signing eventually or you just? No, I did sign. I just signed a deal with Bad Boy. And what made you leave them? I think that it was on amicable terms, just for the record. You know, I didn't have an issue with leaving. I just felt like I was never going to be able to become the artist that I could be because, you know, and it's known, you know, when you have the CEO of your company who's also an artist, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? A beat come through and it's hot. That one beat got to find a home, right? You get first dibs. Pretty much. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So what happens is you're going to eventually continue either writing something for them or featuring on something. It's like, I'm not I'm not trying to be a feature and I'm not trying to keep writing. I'm trying to be an artist now, you know? I've been through all of that. I, I've earned my stripes. I've shown that I can push the pen and, and, and hit the charts. Now I'm going to be an artist. So and I think he understood that. So when it, Time came and we had the conversation. It was it was that amicable. It was settled. It wasn't no tug of war or nothing. I was free from that day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's what kind of led me to Islam. Yeah, but but how? Like how did? You, did because when I left, for example, my solo album went gold. But when I started traveling 
and doing shows overseas, I couldn't find a single CD. It's almost as like not a single record of mine got shipped overseas. Mm. So we can go into the whole conspiracy about whether it was deliberate or whatever. I could care less. You know, that's past stuff. But at that time, as a young artist who also was privy to understanding how the business worked, and it makes sense, my album debuted at number six on the Billboard. All you got to do was blow on it and it'd be number one. Because most number one artists, they might debut at number 22. And by next week, they'll be number one. I debuted at number six. And DJs is overseas selling 12 inches. Why not just go to Tower Records and get a CD? Why is it not a CD to be found? So I felt like, okay, you know what? This ain't gonna work. I gotta, I gotta grow. I gotta, I gotta, I earn my wings. Let me go get them. You know, and it was understood. Like I said, you know, me and dude ain't never have to get into all of that. It's just, you know. So while I was traveling to prove to myself and the world that I can do it on my own, I started bumping into Islam, you know? Started with Senegal, I did a show and like a party in Senegal. And once, you know, I had some downtime, I went to visit a place called Gory Island. It's like the first slave houses in West Africa. And long story short, God took me on the tour and he told me 60 million slaves passed through here. He said, but 6 million never left the soil. He said, they fought and they died. So I was ignorant, like, you know, damn, they must have been some, you know, they were some real, real niggas. He's like, no, 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 we're Muslim. I said, what do you mean? He said, they would not submit to no one other than Allah, and they fought and they died. So that immediately stripped a layer from me, and that layer was black nationalism. Because at that point, everything I ever known to be an adverse situation or any oppressive state came from the color of my skin. But I had just learned in that moment that these people died for God. They had nothing to do with their skin. They died because they would not submit to no one other than God. So if you can't see the nobility in that, something ain't right. You know what I'm saying? Because we over here fighting about skin. You know what I'm saying? Disparity and rights and all this type of stuff. It's like, these men died for God. And that just like, then the second trip, I went to Kazakhstan. This is Middle Eastern Asia. This is Russia. Me and Mario Wines, we went out there for like nine days. We were guests of the president. They laid everything out like we was U.S. ambassadors. So I remember like, you know, backstage, president came in. He was a young guy. So I'm back there smoking like, yo, let me ask you a question. Like, you see a nigga, you say, what's up? I'm ignorant. I'm young. I figured I'm going to get a little language. Because every place I travel, I try to get a little bit of the language. Yeah. He was like, salam alaikum. I'm like, nah, that's what the Muslims say. You know? And I was like, huh? Because, you know, Kazakhstan, they like Mongolian descent. So they have like oriental features, Russian genetics. So I'm thinking, he's supposed to say, you know, something like that. The man said, salam alaikum. I was like, wow. So at that point, I learned diversity. Because in New York, I only knew Yemenis, Pakistanis, and the West African cab drivers. That was the extent of what I understood of the Muslims and the Arabs, you know, being in the Yemenis. You know, that was the only depiction of them was always terrorists or, you know, some extreme. So now I'm looking at diversity. It's a whole nother 
people who ascribe themselves to the same thing. Then last but not least, I went to the UAE. And, you know, everything I ever thought about the Arabs, and see, y'all say Arabs, and I'm saying Arab because that's the correct way, you know. We, we as a people, we know we're going we gonna to give it our own thing. But when I was there, I seen that they lived the lifestyle effortlessly that we dreamed about. I'm like, man, this is crazy. You know, the car, the doors on their cars go up just like ours, and they, 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 they doing it out here, you know what I'm saying? So I remember I was at the Emirates Palace Hotel. I left Dubai to perform in Dubai with the Abu Dhabi. That's where I became Muslim, you know what I'm saying? And I remember, like, when I got to my hotel room and I looked off the balcony, I saw the sun rising over the Arabian Sea. And everything just clicked. Because, you know, in this line of work that we in, we don't pay attention to these signs. We got miracles in front of us every day. There's no man that facilitates the rising and setting of the sun mm. or rising and setting of the moon. Stars illuminating the sky. Precipitation, rain coming down. Ain't no man got nothing to do with that. And we ignore it every day. But we claim to be, you know, believers or servants or slaves of God, you know. So at that moment, something changed in my heart. And still to this day, I could never find words to describe it. But I knew at that moment, after everything that transpired leading up to that, I wanted to be Muslim. You know, so I ran down to the lobby of the hotel, and the first Muslim I found, I said, yo, I want to be Muslim. He's looking at me like, I was crazy. Like, what do you mean you want to be Muslim? I said, I want to be Muslim. Like, yo, you sure? I said, let's stop playing, man. I want to be Muslim. Talk to Mike. Slide over a little bit. So, so with that being said, he said, no, all right, repeat after me. He said, raise your right hand, your right index finger. He said, ashadu in la ilaha illallah. I bear witness that there's no deity worthy of worship and truth except Allah. And I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So I repeated it. And he said, Khalas, you Muslim. I said, nah, man. Come on, cut it out. You know, ain't nothing that simple. Not the life I lived, at least. You know, nothing's that simple. He said, Alhamdulillah, you Muslim. I said, you sure? He said, you man, you Muslim. I'm like, nah, dog. We gotta go get the outfit now. You know, you gotta dip me in the water or something. It ain't nothing. Like, come on, I'm not going. Ain't nothing that simple, right? But the simplicity of that day is the same simplicity that I live by today. We make life hard. You know what I'm saying? Your Creator did not make life difficult for you. He made it easy. How did you become so knowledgeable in the word? You know, was, you know, because when, when I watch some of the videos, man, how, how long it took you? You was reading a book. Well, they have a statement that the Prophet Muhammad used to say, "Man, yahdi Allahu falamu dalala, wa man yulil falahadi Allah." Whomsoever Allah chooses to guide, no one can lead them astray. Whomsoever Allah leads astray, no one can guide. So guidance and everything comes from your Creator. He bestows knowledge on who he wants. You can read a ton of books and be stupid. How many Harvard graduates ain't got no street smart? Like, you know, that's not how you depict a person's intellect. You know what I'm saying? 
we have a statement, Knowledge precedes speech and actions, right? So it's not permissible to speak or act without knowledge. You understand? Because a person that does that, he's only acting off his own whims and desires. There's no intellect in that. You know what I'm saying? So these principles is what Islam teach you. It teach you everything that you need, you know what I'm saying, to navigate through this worldly life with the intention of receiving what's promised in the next life. You know? And paradise is not cheap. Like, everybody thinks they just going to make it because they, you know, help old ladies cross the street and, you know, cut the neighbor's grass. You know, I do good stuff. I never hurt nobody. But if the intention for these things are just for self-praise or people to acknowledge you, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. Right. And it goes back to those men who chose to die than to subject themselves to the rule of man. That's strength. I ain't never met nobody that tough in my life. All the years I've been in the street, ain't nothing tougher than that. To accept death because I'm not going to submit to no creation, something that's just as much in need as me. I'm going to submit to the one that's free of need. And that's where, you know, knowledge begins. Understanding that. Understanding your purpose. You know? I had a guy I met just yesterday. He seen me praying outside the mall because it was getting close to, you know, the prayer going out. And my son, no, you know, I, I pray anywhere, side of a highway, anywhere, you know. So the guy seen me. And I kind of seen him on my peripheral, but I wasn't paying him no mind. As soon as I finished praying, he approached me. He was like, yo, man, where does a man derive strength from? I say he derives strength from his purpose. So what's your purpose? He said, well, I don't know, you know, to get to a level where I can help other people. I said, well, what if you can't do that? Do you still have a purpose? He's like, I ain't, I don't, I ain't think of it like that. Yeah, I don't know. I said, yeah, your purpose is to worship the one that created you. That's your purpose. Because you'll be able to do that whether you're drunk. I mean, I even say drunk, but whether you have no feet, no hands, no sight, whatever, you'll always be able to do that. But if you believe your purpose is to run fast and you lose your legs, you know what I'm saying? This is why people slip into depression, commit suicide, because they believe that whatever purpose they were supposed to serve no longer exists. So what's to live for, right? Hmm. You know? I got a question. So um, do you, do you um, I don't want to say force, but do you force upon the, the Muslim uh, stuff which, which, to, to your kids? No, no, no. Nothing's false. You know, we have a statement in the Quran where Allah says, uh, There's no compulsion in a religion. You can't compel someone to be Muslim. Right. Muslim is a form of submission. A Muslim is one who submits. So submission is a choice. No one can compel you to submit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So my children, they're raised. You know what I'm saying? The ones who are Muslim. I got children that are born Muslim. And I got children that accepted Islam. You know? But none of them are compelled. You know? None of them are compelled. You can't do that. You can't even do that without Islam. You know how miserable children are when parents try to vicariously live through them? Yeah, yeah. I didn't make it. That's why I said 
playing baseball and I'm going to make you force, play baseball. You know, like, just kind of like... <laughs> You can't that, do that, that. That's like that's like you you know. You can't even compel your spouse. It's like you can't you can't compel nobody. Right. Because when you do that, what you're doing is manufacturing something that's not real. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We establish relationships and unions based on what that person brings to the table. If you alter and change that, then you might as well just, you know. Marry a robot, then. Do you know? Hmm. Just yeah, we'll find you one of them. What's some what's some dogs everybody walk around with? What they call it again? The ones that get on the plane and everything with you. This one, that's a service dog. Um, it, the, uh, what's it? It's something emotional. Emotion, uh, emotional, support emotional dog. support. <laughs> Yo, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, you better off with that because the dog ain't gonna talk back. Yo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real, 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 real quick. So he was DJing just now, right? No, no, I'm thinking because you know we we went on time and you know we got a day tomorrow as well. We do. Stop, stop playing. You gotta meet me tomorrow. Stop playing. Stop. I'm only playing as you got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what? You got arrested. Plenty of times. The, the one that you did a bid for. Yeah. I was thrown in a conspiracy that had nothing really to do with me. No cap. Let me show you how, or let me explain to you how a conspiracy works. Let me look it up first because you be talking some small stuff. Yeah. <laughs> in order to catch a conspiracy charge in the United States of America, you have to have two or more co-conspirators. Got it. So if y'all two get together, y'all just don't like me. You say, I'm going to tell the feds. I bought 10 joints from them, and yo, I'm gonna say I bought 12 through the course of five years. So that's an ongoing conspiracy. Got it. Right? And that's just hearsay. Ghost dope, ain't no drugs. But because you're conspiring, you know what I'm saying? Or I'm, you know, you're implicating that I was conspiring with the intent to distribute one or more kilos of heroin. That was my indictment so it stemmed from you know really an introduction I introduced two people to each other that was the extent of my involvement you know and these guys went to prison well these guys you know flipped on each other caused all kinds of whatever whatever then once the smoke cleared the fishing rods came out they still was fishing to get more time off or whatever so because I was instrumental in that introduction, it was easy for them to all conspire and say I was the one that distributed. I, I was their supplier. I got two prior convictions that's all drug related. So to frame that up for a jury of my peers, that's easy. He's a career drug dealer. Look, he got a charge in 92. He got a charge in 2006. Who's to say that he's not affiliated with this now? And that's your jury appears, you know what I'm saying? These are people that don't know you. They just know what, you know, the government or the prosecutor presents. 
So now story short, you know, I was this 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 happened around 2008. And basically I became Muslim at the end of 2008. I had moved to Egypt in 2010. Never had an indictment pending. I literally went to the federal headquarters to do an NCIC background check before I left the country and took my family abroad. Because I had some suspicion that, you know, you know, I had heard word like, yo, you know them dudes that, you know, you was trying to help with their music career. You know they got jammed up. So that compelled me to say, you know what, well, let me go check these people because if it ain't right, I ain't coming out of this building, right? NCIC background check is like $55. For those that don't know the system and just completely allergic to police. No, at some point you have to be able to figure things out by following the law. So when I found out I didn't have anything pending, there was nothing on my head, I moved my family to Egypt. You know, where I remained to like the end of 2011. So I traveled to several different countries while this so-called indictment was pending, but not knowing that most of the countries that I'm visiting are Muslim countries that don't honor conspiracy. So there's a reason why I wasn't getting flagged. But as soon as I went to Belgium, this is NATO headquarters. You're talking about a staunch ally of the United States government. Once I landed there, it was, you know, like they say, all hell broke loose. They arrested you in the airport. Interpol grabbed me in Belgium. I spent my first six months in Belgium fighting my extradition. I went all the way to the Supreme Court in Belgium fighting my extradition because I felt like the United States government was trying to kidnap me. You know what I'm saying? And hurled me into a conspiracy that had a very minuscule, minute role. You know? but ultimately got shaped into me being a supplier or a distributor or whatever. So when I finally made it stateside, I'm looking at 10 years of life for two prior convictions. That mean they can impose two 851 enhancements. Now 851 enhancement, meaning based on my prior, I can go from 10 to life to 20 to life, and with the second prior, mandatory life. So if I go to trial and I lose, I get mandatory life for not making a single dollar in this conspiracy. Introducing Flip the G money, y'all go do y'all thing, and then y'all can't handle, y'all handle, and next thing you know, y'all just snatch poor Amir, you know, out of plane, like Godzilla, just reach up in the sky and snatch my plane and just earth me. That happens all the time. I'm not unique. You know, and these are the things that lawmakers or these people who are lobbying for changes in the law, they should be fighting for stuff like this. I went to jail for ghost dope and hearsay. You know? So, did you cut? You copped out? You Absolutely. There was daylight on the table. 14 years? Gotta do that. Or fight, be innocent, and lose. But the feds got a 96, 98% conviction rate. Not gonna beat them. Okay, how much money you got? 
Okay, what kind of status you got? You just seen them put Trump in cuffs. So at the end of the day, you talking about the federal government. You talking about Chauncey Hawkins versus United States of America. Not Chauncey Hawkins versus the state of New York or Chauncey Hawkins versus the state of Virginia. Chauncey Hawkins versus the United States of America. That's what a federal case looks like. You was, you, you was out there, you was like, because... When you got arrested, you were on the news out there. I saw some clips. Oh, I saw yeah, yeah, I was out. Yeah, I mean, I made the news, and yeah, it was a big old deal, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people just was like, I could imagine. Like, I didn't even, like I said, I'm not, I don't feed into what people say, but I imagine people probably was like, yo, see? Or like, yo, everybody was blaming Puff. A lot of people were like, man, look at Puff, man. Puff is the devil, man. Look at you, man, all the way out there trying to sell heroin. Uh, you, know, you know, it's just like, it's funny to me because it's like, when that's not your reality, you don't get invested in it. You know, it's just a formality that comes with certain things. You know? You can't, you can't win that battle. Trying to convince everybody you somebody, you know, you ain't. It is what it is, man. That's what y'all think. I'm going to keep on chucking, you know. And, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot, man. But it also was very beneficial because I've been running around since maybe the end of 84, nonstop. Just, it just was a nonstop ride. The first time in my life I got to pull over. And think. And I got nine years of time to think and reflect and learn and educate myself and strengthen myself because it was going to be a day at the time, God willing, that I was going to re-enter society. So everything you see that I'm doing now is just a prerequisite of all the things I plan to do. I plan to come home, do a book, do a documentary. You know, my company, Paid Mills, is a mobile application that I'm building. You know what I'm saying? The impact food insecurity. Because, you know, that's important. So people have been seeing me manually implement one of the functionalities of the app. So as I'm building transparency so people can see, I'm feeding people what I would eat. You know what I'm saying? When we look at people in need, they always have like a staple meal prepared for them. A brown bag with grease coming out of it. Like, Yo, I'm about to close this store at 7. Come around the back and meet me. I got you. Well, you know, you can help yourself. You want to go in the garbage? You don't treat people like that. You know what I'm saying? Because whatever dignity that they're holding on to, if you nurture that, they may actually return back into the work field. Or they may actually take an initiative to try to better themselves. But when you relinquish a person's dignity and they honor and they submit to that, they're nothing, you know? And at that point, they won't get treated like nothing. So where are we at now? We got to flip the script, man. You're asking me, like, listen, dog. We... Where are you at now, Mr. Mayor? Where I'm at right now. What's you got paid meals going on? Um, G Money said he was in the paid meals. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if she still is a part of it, but someone from the paid meals reached out to me a couple of years ago. Um, Selma, uh, Selma. Yeah. That's my partner. Yeah, she um, 
interview me on her, on her platform. Shout out to Tama. And I actually, I actually supported paid meals, and you know, I, I, I bought a few meals from there. And nice. Um, I think during quarantine, I, I was doing like the. Uh, yeah, that's when it initially went live. That's when it started to go. Yeah, because she yeah. hit me, and then she she actually sponsored my. I was on like a Freestyle Friday joint, and she had she had sponsor. Well, she didn't sponsor it because she was like hosting it for me, and I had people donate from my live to the paid meals and to to get some meals and all that. So, how does paid meals work? Paid meals. When we finished developing the app, which we're in development process right now, and I'm actually about to start a campaign to raise money to actually complete the app. Because we have been, you know, as you mentioned, Selma and I have been through, you know, numerous different attempts to build the app, working with several different software development companies that wasn't able to help us complete our mission. And it cost us over half a million dollars of our own money. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So now we finally found a development team that's actually helping us build the app correctly. Because this is a monstrosity. It's not a simple click-and-play kind of app. You're talking about something, an ecosystem. So basically it enables contributors to purchase meals for people in need through participating paid meals vendors. So we're literally impacting food insecurity within the problem. Understand? Because, you know, there was a big thing where the United Nations kind of took a shot at this 1% billionaires. Like, if these guys got together and just gave us $6 billion, we'll eradicate hunger. And Elon Musk put them to trial. Like, All right, if you can do it, if you can prove you can do it, I'll sell shares, shares of Tesla and give you the $6 billion myself. They walked it back. No, no, what we were trying to say was, nah, nah. The reality of it is they can't do it. You understand? They have the ability to amass the food that's required to impact hunger. But logistically, they'll lose 40% of that food due to food poison. You can't logistically move that amount of food and allocate it properly before, you know, the food loses its, you know, value. But what we created... The food is already there. You got vendors. You got grocery stores. You got restaurants. Food, so how does it work? Food trucks, food carts. I can't tell you the too much, you know. Oh, got it. Yeah, there's a billionaire out there that would probably try to beat me. It'll take them some time, though. They'll never be able to do it like, you know. Allah knows best, you know. You know, inshallah, Allah continue to protect and preserve like our guy. efforts. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we, this is, this is the flagship project. You know, because we've seen numerous nonprofit organizations amass a lot of wealth and they'll just turn around and give them like a dry bag of rice or something like that. Where the rest is money going? You know what I'm saying? You have 1.5 million nonprofit organizations in the United States of America and it grows 2.6 trillion a year. It shouldn't be a hungry soul in America, right? 2.6 trillion? Shouldn't be nobody hungry. So what we're doing is disrupting the natural order of how people monetize people's hardships and difficulties. You know? 
And in a minute, you know, I'm going to reach out to everybody that I, that believe in what we're doing, you know, to help me raise the funds to make this a reality. So that means you can have all the fries you want. Hey, don't you talk to my friend like that. Hey, listen. He loves fries. <laughs> it don't make no sense that he got to keep spending his money on french fries. On french fries. Can he can go on paid meals, sign up as a receiver, even though you don't need to because you got the means, <laughs> but you have discretion. You know, there's no restriction. If you want to be a receiver, you have a receiver <laughs> profile. You know what I mean? You request three meals a day. You can have french fries three times a day. Please <laughs> stop. You turn on me in front of people. <laughs> shake it off. <laughs> shake that off, yeah. I'm shake it off. He <laughs> like that. I came in, you was eating Doritos. <laughs> Gee, ignore that. I had some chips too, but he ain't see why. <laughs> He don't, oh, he don't care. That's the thing. He don't put no shade on nothing he do. <laughs> Flip is one of the most transparent guys I've met since I've came home. I appreciate Real quick, last question, because G-Money, you have the behind the scenes to do, right? Last question. Um, you heard him, y'all. We got a lot. We got a lot of shit. Your third, out. real quick, and this is your first, last question. So we're gonna see if you follow through. It is my last question, cause you old. I want you to get some rest. We got an early morning tomorrow. Absolutely. G Money has. I see G Money. He's hot. His. He got. He's. I saw the behind the scenes. I saw it. He got so much questions. That's that's messed up. What? You let me do all this talking. Got all the juicy joints. No, no, I saw not, it. I saw that's it. Different. That's not. That's different. Oh, that's different. That's light. That's light work. That's walking apart. <laughs> oh, you just exited the question. <laughs> um, since you've been home, right? Um, tell us about the love you receive from your peers and others. Um, I mean. It's been abundant, you know? And like, I think because I invested so much of my time and energy in using the time I was away that I didn't really give too much thought about, you know, how it may have, you know, been received by other people. Like, you know your family. You know how your family feel. You know what I'm saying? They taking a ride with you. You know, close friends, so on and so forth, you know. You're able to experience all those things, you know. Well, my man. Yeah, your boy. <laughs> but when it comes down to the abundance of love and appreciation that I receive from strangers, Muslim and non-Muslim, you know, there's a certain kind of euphoria that you feel knowing that you must have did something right. You had to do something right in your life 
despite all of the hiccups, all of the, you know what I'm saying, for it all to come full circle in the form of, you know, love, appreciation, respect, all of these things, you had to have done something right, you know. Even like, you know, when I post things, you always get your one guy. There's always one guy that has, you know, he just got to be, he exists. He, you know, you got to have him in order to really appreciate all of the good. You know what I'm saying? And that becomes another testament of, man, I must have did something right. Because I always attribute it to what preceded. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't look at like, yo, I'm doing something. I always look at it like, I must have did something. Mm. Something that preceded is what giving me what I'm receiving today. Only a narcissist look at today like, yeah, see, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, I, I, I ain't that guy. It's like, I feel like I must have did something right, you know? So there's a, another authentic hadith or, you know, narration or prophetic tradition, you know, that the prophet is telling me mention. Whoever loves Allah, Allah make the people love you. So if I focus on loving, revering, seeking refuge in everything, and the creator the heavens and earth and everything in between, in turn, he'll make the people love you. You know? That's a two for one. So you don't have to invest your time and energy trying to make everybody happy, trying to please this one, please that. You know what I'm saying? So the discipline that comes with that, I believe, plays a very significant role in how people see me. You know? Because you know how it is. When you're consistent, people like, you know, because everybody want to poke holes in you. They want to find some crack in your armor. Like, yeah, Flip just wearing his hat like that for now. You know what I'm saying? See, now you adjusted it. So now you, now a person, they could just, you know, all right, they could target you now for all kinds of other scrutiny. But if you had kept your hat that way, you know what I'm saying, for the next 15 years, it's like, you know what? I messed with Flip. He ain't never changed his hat. He kept that joint never sitting on the, hat. yeah. See, I told yeah. you leader had the same way. Yeah, man. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, hey, um. Tell him. Well, he just said that wrong this time, so, yeah. He's good, though. He's good. He's pretty good. I thought you liked this. He's real good. Huh? My last question. Um, oh, is there anyone in the, in the industry, uh, music industry, that try to get you back into the studio? <laughs> it was some indirect attempts. Nobody really came straight up to not, me. Not straight to you, but a little, like, yeah. you sent something over. Uh, yeah. Like, sent you know, some subs. One of my guys. I fact, my son was with me one night. I ain't going to mention my guy. You know what okay. I'm saying? This is my dude, man. And, you know, he's still very much relevant. But we were sitting in a joint, and he just, like, you know, prior to me telling him I don't do music no more, it was just kind of like, yeah, right. we was in a joint, turning the joint up, like, yeah, you know, think about getting Miguel on this joint, man. You'll be crazy on this joint. And this is like one of my son's favorite artists. Mm. So I'm, I'm sitting there, everybody in the car rocking. I'm just sitting there kind of like, man, I just told this dude, I don't do music <laughs> no more. Why is he trying me like this? But you know when people have a certain kind of, you know, respect and love for you, it's like, all right, whatever. This joint right here. And I kind of wasn't responding. I'm looking at my son though, I'm on periphery. He's looking at me like I'm like, you think is you crazy? 
this is, you know, this is this is that guy, you know. And I think even he learned that night, like, yo, you dead serious. Like, yeah. you really ain't, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know. That's what's up, though. So it was like, you know, oh, man, me and Dame. I got all this footage for the doc. I got a lot of people that was in my documentary. Kanye, Dame, French. There's a lot of people in the documentary. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then I got a lot of credible people that's going to help articulate some of these stories so you ain't got to be fact-checking and Googling like your man over there. Right? I have to. No, you don't. Sometimes you just got to know, you know, some people still tell the truth. But go ahead and Google yourself. That I mean, it's your phone. You pay for it. You my man. I just want to make sure what you're saying is JR, my man. Now what? Oh, boy. That's how I did. Okay, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, me and Dame, he went back and forth. <laughs> but I first came home with Dame. Oh, man. Shout out to Dame. Dame, he's just like, yo, dog, I'm just saying, like, I don't get it. Like, he just ain't get it. I was like, yo, mm. I'll tell you, like, I'm done. I'm cool. It's a young oh. man's sport, man. I'm good, you know? Because for me, I'm going to be honest, and this, I'm going to say this in closing. You can't just have music. You gotta take everything that come with it, right? You can't just hustle in the street. You gotta take everything that come with it. Hmm. I'm a firm believer of that. Anything that you involve yourself in or invest, you gotta take everything that come with it. You know what I'm saying? You can't dissect what you like and try to leave off what you don't like. That's not real. So for me, Music is just a reminder of everything that is comprised of, the, you know, the lifestyle, all the experiences that I had. I caught some of, most of my, most cases I caught was at the height of my career. I didn't get in trouble like that with the law before music. Music? Oh, man. I found myself auditioning all the time, you know? Everybody thought I was the wedding singer or something. Like, I'm just this box of chocolate flower dude that need a girl part seven. Like, this dude ain't gonna never stop needing a girl. You know, I, I understood it, though. I understood the assignment. It didn't bother me. But I also had to navigate through the fact that, you know, I only had a real strong, impactful impression. You know what I'm saying? That made me, like you said, like Carlton. You know, hmm. give out your social media, sir. So, what I like to say in closing: <laughs> be on the lookout for the book. Oh yeah, seven-part doc series. Nice. Talk about it. Paid Mills 2.0 mobile application. Shout out to Paid Mills. And the Perspective Podcast, which is me and my partner, Mendeecee Harris. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we left that out. It's crazy how all these... Yeah, these, yeah, yeah, spit it out. <laughs> hey, look, look, hey, look, I got different, hey, look, I got different skin. <laughs> say it, yo. Nah, I know, I know. Why I know, you still just smiling? Say it. Nothing to say, I respect everything you do, man. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope, man. Yeah. Well, just a disclaimer so that, you know, I don't fall into this whole tobacco of, you know, failed artists or whatever statement was made. I truly believe that, you know, we men, man, we got to have tougher skin than that. Cats can't be, 
you know, getting sucked into stuff that don't apply to them. Because unless you feel that way about yourself, then these things have an impact. If you know better, a joint to just roll off, you know? Mm, but for me, podcast that me and Mendeecey is doing is that, you know, we have a lot of commonalities, but we have things that we don't have in common, you know? We both from Harlem. We both family men. We both been in federal prison, but I'm Muslim and he not, you know? And then the guests that I invite, you know, is to have, you know, thought-provoking, you know, respectful conversations that may not amount to an agreement all the time. Because we all entitled to have a perspective or a view or opinion about whatever matter. Of course. You know? And also, I feel like us as <clears throat> black journalists, we have to be at the helm of navigating or you know narrating our own stories we can't let social media or mainstream media teach us about our own situations because once upon a time you know what we had was oprah let's be real we had oprah we had arsenio Hmm. that was it now you can't i mean every time you scroll turn whatever it's somebody look like us that has the platform to do very impactful things. And nothing wrong with humor. You know, nothing wrong with, you know what I'm saying? You know, people who's looking for clickbait, whatever it is. I mean, it's your it's your platform. Do what you want with it. But just keep in mind, every now and then, you know, give something back to the culture, whether it's something that's educational, informative, or something that can inspire. Because just looking at us succeed you know, that's one thing. It gives hope. You can win. You know, I believe that. I'm a firm believer in that. That generally, success can be viewed as, you know what, you can win. You know, there's many ways to win. We didn't have those options growing up. You know what I'm saying? It's either use going, you know, sports, entertainment, or hustle. It was cool when you was very little buying toys to say, I'm going to be a policeman, a fireman, right? That went out the window once you learned how police was and how a fireman to let your house burn down, right? Why your house be on fire? Our building, the tenement building, been on fire for 17 hours. But let that stuff happen in Central Park West somewhere. Many put the fire out before, you know, before it even start. And we had to learn that. The hard way, like, yo, I don't even want to be them type of dudes. You know what? I'd rather be like this guy. We got our education from drug dealers, from murderers, stick-up kids. You know, we got that's how we got our education from. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man. Real Loon to Amir. Instagram. Same. Facebook. And um, definitely I... Want to thank y'all for giving me the opportunity to use y'all platform as a means to show that we all have the opportunity and ability to do great things. And I hope the youth that's looking understand that, you know, don't limit yourself. You know, this generation has so much access to information and things that we never had. So to get caught up in the same one-trick pony, man, you know, you ain't going to have nobody but yourself to blame. Mm. 
you know. So, Queens Flip, DJ G Money, you know. Queens. Oh, oh chill out, chill out. <laughs> Don't do that. I got a burrow bang on y'all one time, B. We was burrow banging, dog. <laughs> All right, G. Run the post one time for my man, Amir, y'all. <laughs> one of the best. Shout out to Don't. my man JR. Made shout all this possible. Shout out to JR. Had it not been for him, you wouldn't be here in, uh, in the studio. After a lot, my man JR. Got Ooh. it. Thank you. <laughs> G -G. Shout out to the whole team, man. Tati, shout out to Bassie. Tati. Um, yeah, shout out to Bassie as well. Yeah. Kim Dope Ozario, episode. Kim Ozario for putting this together as well. Facts. Can we Bianca on the set. My son came through. My man right there. Right, salute, we, salute. we still got a little more work to do. So let me, let's sign up, please. <laughs> Make sure y'all follow the page of social media, man. Y'all know it already by now. Um, don't forget. What happened? Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we out in DR. Make sure y'all pull up. MemorialDayGetaway.com for the tickets. For the uh, for the packages. Am I, am I invited? Always invited. Thank you. Are you going to show up? That's the question. He's going to ask another question, but he's going to pause yourself. Nah, I was just gonna, I, I was say, are you coming? Too, but I just paused. I just saw you going to show up. Yeah, I had to switch it around. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I can make a call right now. You want me no, to? No, no, that's all right. Every Thursday, Epic Lounge, too, pull up there. You know what I'm saying? We got Thursdays rocking. Mm, yeah. Do that to us. Oh, I'll do something. All right, show us something. Let's go. No, no, get your shit. Every Thursday, Epic Lounge. Epic Lounge in Queens, every Thursday. Everybody free all night long. Vibes. You know what I'm saying? What happened to that crab spot you was doing? That's, that shit was fun. Yeah, that shit lit. Gee. You always bring that up. Everybody bring that up all the time. I don't know. They they, they got to fix their music license and stuff. All that's the behind the scenes. They gotta, oh, for real? Yeah, they got to fix all that stuff. But I'll be, you know, back there soon, hopefully. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, but, you the man. You're my favorite DJ in the world. Oh, thank you, man. Bless your heart. Number one. That's Queen's Flip, man. <laughs> we here, man. Dope episode. Shout out to Amir, uh, a.k.a. Loon. Shout out to everybody in the building. Uh, I appreciate it. And shout out to uh, Lilo for giving me my notes in the middle <laughs> of the show. And um, yeah, uh, lock your doors, close your windows, close your blinds, open your blinds. And if you see a meal on your lawn, put it away. He don't mean any harm. But if you let him in, you may take your shahada because he will talk to you all night long. I'm from Queens. <laughs>